And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our tele- television and radio studios here in beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania after a long weekend, or what seemed like a long weekend. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Here it is Monday, the 12th day of June 2017. We are live, and we're, I'll tell you, we're, we're coming out hot. We've got, uh, during this first hour, Scott Greer. He's the author of, um, he's the author of no campus for white men. You know, I wonder how many people heard about what happened at Evergreen University um, here. What was it now? A couple of weeks ago, Ever Evergreen State College. That is very interesting set of circumstances, and we can take that and combine combine what happened there with uh, what we're seeing in terms of some of the marches, protests, and everything all across the United States, folks. It's it's about time we we start paying attention to what's really taking place, and it's about time to start paying attention to who's behind all of this. And of course, we it's easy to say Soros, and yeah, we get that. But what about the uh, uh, the lower level minions, these moronic minions that are out there uh, with their signs that are passed out beforehand? We have to we have to understand who these people are. Of course, we're coming to you uh, again live um, via Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank Global Star for carrying our program. Also, simulcast live on BTR. That's Blog Talk Radio and YouTube Live. Um, Joe, it's uh, we we've looked at some things this weekend in terms of the, uh, the the riots, the protests that we've seen over the last I don't know. Well, we can just take it since Donald Trump was inaugurated, uh, or shall we say since he won the election, and we could take and look at all of the various fascist groups, the groups that are funded by the anti-constitutionalists, and, and we can certainly paint a good picture of the infrastructure behind the attempted takedown of the of of our country, of our constitutional republic. Before we get to our guests, before we go any further, I want to tell you that Portions Nice Broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, OmahaSteaks.com. Go there and put in the search bar HH for specials just dedicated to Hagman and Hagman Report listeners. Some great stuff there as well. You know, they've got all the best cuts of beef. They've got bison from the Golden Plains. They've got seafood, poultry. They've got everything, I'm telling you. And with Father's Day coming up, I can't think of a better gift than OmahaSteaks.com. More on that later. By the way, HH in the search bar in order to get these specials exclusive to Hagman and the Hagman Report listeners. OmahaSteaks.com, HH in the search bar. But when you look at the things that are taking place across America, we need to talk about this with intellectual honesty, and we need to really address this uh, up front hard and everything. Let me know when we have our guests on, Joe. Oh, we're uh, good. Oh, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. All right. Well, Joe, welcome, and let's uh, let's bring Scott Greer on. You come on, and let's bring Scott, Scott Greer on, uh, author of No Campus for White Men. How about a prophetic title? Yeah. Huh? He's the uh, deputy editor of The Daily Caller. Fantastic author. Um uh, yeah, he's a, an author. Uh, 
By the way, I can't really like hear anything in my in my headset. Maybe here. because um, you got the, the the connection might might be bad. You might have to unplug it and replug right. it in. Got but it. yeah, Scott Greer is our guest. He's, he's been on uh, at least once before, and he's a writer for the Daily Caller. Also, is an author. Uh, Mr. Greer, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hey, thanks for having me back on again. Well, it's a it's our pleasure. You know, your book is prophetic. Your book is. Uh, uh, it's an interesting read, um, but wow, you talk about, again, prophetic, no campus for white men. Now you've got no campus for professors opposed to anti-white racism. And yeah, the, the folks, um, what we're going to be talking about with Scott is something we've been, we've mentioned a few times here in the last few weeks. The ongoing, uh, I don't know what you'd even call it, hysteria at Evergreen State College, uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Brett Weinstein went on the, I believe it was the Sean Hannity program, and kind of brought Tucker some main, Carlson actually Tucker, Tucker, Tucker yeah, Carlson, that's right. brought that's some right. mainstream attention uh, to what's been going on there. Scott, well, you have well, an article from, lay, yeah, why don't you lay that though for us, Scott? For those who don't know, I'm sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to over talk you, but for those who don't know what happened at Evergreen uh, State College, why don't you lay it out for us? Yeah, sure. I'll just start off. Well, this all began with, as you mentioned, Dr. Weinstein, Professor Weinstein. He it was, he's he is somebody with a progressive background. This is not a conservative. This is not a right winger. Not even a libertarian. In 2011, he openly supported the Occupy movement. So this is somebody who is credential left winger, standard progressive. But there were students were wanting to host an event called the, the Day of Absence. Now, usually when they have the Day of Absence, it requires for minority students to leave campus to show some symbolic uh, opposition towards racism or whatever. Whatever, that you know, that's free speech. They have that right if they want to make that protest. You know, they volunteer for it, and that's the United States of America. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, this year they wanted to do this different. They're like, how about instead of us leaving campus, let's just kick off all the white uh, students and professors from campus for a day, and we just have the campus to ourselves. Uh, Professor Weinstein said, you know what, that seems kind of stupid, and that seems very kind of productive. Instead of opposing uh, oppression, you're enforcing oppression against other people because of the color of their skin. Well, the rest of the students didn't like that idea, and they uh, threatened him, they intimidated him, uh, they stormed into one of his classes, shouted at him, every name in the book at him, you know, racist, bigot, white supremacist. You know, remember, this guy is a standard progressive, no, no ties to the right at all. They they did all this to him, and then the next day he was supposed to teach a class. Police told him, like, hey, uh, probably not a good idea to come on campus today because they're running wild and you probably might have some violence done to you, so it's best to teach your class off campus. And on that day he left campus, there's several video footage of what uh, college students were doing. They held a whole lot of faculty uh, basically hostage in a building on campus and, and would not let them leave unless they conceded to their demands. They wouldn't even let him use the bathroom in this building, and they're chanting about racist, white supremacy, you know, it's all over the place. Uh, they're, of course, not letting um, Mr. Weinstein back on campus. And on that same day, he went on Tucker Carlson's show and related his, you know, the horrifying story that happened to him. Well, that just upset the faculty and other students and said, oh, he brought a white supremacist black backlash on the campus by going on Fox News. So in the meantime, th that started, that had students, um, 
there's one group of students that decided to become a vigilante group and patrol campus for all the white supremacists that were apparently running around the very left-wing Evergreen State University with baseball bats. This vigilante group was going out and looking for white supremacists uh, in a menacing manner, looking for them. So the whole campus has descended in utter insanity. And, uh, you know, I almost, when I first heard about the story, I thought they took my book title as a challenge. Like, yeah, we do need to make a no campus for white men. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, <laughs> With what was with all the crazy stuff that's been happening there. Well, uh, wow. if we can, let's go back because I, I do remember seeing uh, the, the next day the YouTube where where the professor was on Tucker Carlson, and from what I understand, this professor is uh, a progressive himself, uh, very left leaning. It's a it's a pro- progressive liberal school. Uh, but one thing that's concerning, and I asked my my dad about last week, I believe, when the the protesters started. Um, I read the article and, and saw that where they were, the, the the faculty had to ask for for permission to go to the bathroom and raise their hand, and basically they were uh, kidnapped. How come the police refused to? to how come they? The, the, there was a stand down. The local police. How come they didn't step in? Yeah. Yeah, they were told to step down. The police aren't doing anything. I mean, there's a couple of instances where the campus police are. Uh, really don't do anything in the matter. I mean, uh, especially at a left-wing campus like Evergreen State. I mean, I've I've always had the impression that Evergreen State is one of the most left-winging campuses in the country, along with Oberlin and uh, the New School and a couple of other places. So it has a very big left-wing reputation. And even though the police are supposed to protect and to serve, and if there's people wanting to commit violence to, you know, make sure they're not committing violence, They've not had that mentality in this case. They've just tried to have a hands-off approach, like, well, we'll let them run wild, maybe, you know, threaten some people, shut down the school, but, well, you know, they're just kids. We'll let it happen. Even though, as I said, with the, um, you know, the vigilante group that was patrolling um, the campus with baseball bats and looking to commit harm against anyone they saw as a white supremacist, uh, the school, instead of, you know, sending cops out to arrest them, they just sent a polite letter like, please stop, come on, don't don't, don't put out the baseball bats. You know, it's like pleading with, uh, you know, they're almost suffering like Stockholm Syndrome here. They're pleading with their hostage takers to just let them go. And instead of, you know, as the case with these matter if you're showing weakness uh these people are just going to take more and more and keep keep uh you know keep you under lock and key and yeah that was the same and you mentioned that that the professors who were being held hostage essentially by these students um on the day when the professor was supposed to come to campus to teach his course when police told him to stay away because you know bad things might happen to him you know, they weren't allowed to use the restroom. There was the president of the university, the person who's supposed to be in charge, who could tell order police in a second to come to, come there and, and arrest all the protesters. He said, oh, you know, can I please use the restroom? And they told him no. This is the, the major authority of campus who's being told by students, we don't respect your authority, we don't recognize your authority, and you're going to have to listen to our rules and cave to our ridiculous demands. They were uh, The demands were like, uh, you know, provide a safe sanctuary for all illegal immigrants and, like, you know, free tuition for students of a certain ethnicity. It was all these very ridiculous, uh, ludicrous demands that a school could not immediately enforce, but they wanted them done anyway, or, unless if they wanted to go to the bathroom, of course. Yeah, you know, this is ridiculous. It, 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 okay, well, you know what, let me just make sure I've got this straight. Now, admittedly, I, I, I guess the... Um, Evergreen State College does bill itself as this anti-traditional college that prides itself on, 
anti-capitalism, socialism, radical environmentalism, and Marxism. Is that okay? Is that correct? That's what that's what we're dealing with here. That institution, right? Uh, Scott? Well, they teach these kids all these stuff. I mean, some of it it's not even intellectual enough to be Marxism because it's not like they're reading. Uh, you know, Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto, and get, this is where they're getting the ideas. They're just taught these, you know, poorly thought out ideas that all white people are racist. All, you know, no matter where they are, even this left wing professor is a white, evil white supremacist because he doesn't want you to have, he, he doesn't want to kick all white students off. It's kind of it's more dumbed down than even saying Marxist. I think a lot of these professors they get these ideas from these left wing administrators who've probably read Marx and you know Marcuse and all these big time left wing writers. But most of these students they don't even really have that ideology. It's just um, you know passed down resentment towards uh, traditional America, towards white people, towards all you know Western civilization, towards all these things. They think this is all bad. It needs to go away. And any representative of that of all those terrible things should not be allowed on campus. Right. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that said, um, so you have this day of protest, so to speak. And, Joe, again, Joe was basically, it's been a few weeks of protest. Well, right. Okay. This period of protest where um, it's decidedly anti-white, period. Right, to the point where they're calling for the the day of absence for white people to stay home okay. so they can have a, a segregation day. Right. Okay, correct. And then you so, so you've got you've got this professor who fulfills his contractual obligation to teach shows up and essentially is taken hostage. Right, for for, for voicing his objection to uh the the white day of absence. Okay. And this, and he wasn't only just taken hostage. Many of the school faculty were also taken hostage days later. Well, I would like to make the point he didn't even have the fortune of being taken hostage because police told him he wasn't, he couldn't step foot on campus. When all the rest of the faculty uh, was taken hostage, he was at an off-campus site in a park uh, teaching the handful of students who decided to show up for his class because the police said it was not safe for him to appear on campus. Uh, so he didn't even have the okay. fortune of, or, or he was fortunate enough to not even be taken hostage. Okay, so, so that's Weinstein that we're talking about, that guy. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Weinstein. Uh, all right. All right. So, so okay, so, so the others, unlucky enough or whatever, um, they are essentially held, being held hostage by these racist minorities, blacks, whatever, racist minorities at this state uh, college. And uh, being okay. held hostage being, and given a list of demands, basically. All right. All right, and the and and then this moron of a uh, uh, of a uh, um, president of the uh, state college, George Bridges, essentially just what it curls up in a fetal position and, and allows this to continue, right? The, yeah, he uh, he praises students uh, for taking him hostage later later on and. 
several of the faculty, uh, you know, last week it was over. It was at least a quarter of the faculty had denounced uh, Professor Weinstein for going on Fox News, for going on Tucker Carlson, and bringing this supposed white supremacist backlash. Which it wasn't a white supremacist backlash. It was just regular Americans hearing about this crazy story and uh, rightfully getting upset. I mean, if you heard about this, that your if your tax dollars were going to this insanity, I'm pretty sure most Americans would be upset about it. Now, Republican or Democrat, uh, you know, there was a lot of backlash from uh, liberals against the madness that they were seeing at Evergreen State. Uh, but the, uh, the the president's reaction towards it wasn't trying to crack down on these students and like, look, you know, telling them, no, like, you cannot take over a campus. This is a place of learning. you got to let different points of view be taken place. You cannot just dominate campus. He instead caved into their demands. Uh, there was even proposals to uh, scrap all homework, uh, you know, to, all these ridiculous measures to please these students. And, you know, that's not going to solve his problem. That's not going to help his life at all. That's just going to make them demand more and more. Uh, but that was his response. He didn't back his professor, who was uh, wrongfully attacked for just expressing his First Amendment right to call out an event he disagreed with. And, and you know, a moderate fashion. This isn't, you know, some – he didn't gather up on a soapbox and start, you know, denouncing people. He just sent it in a well-reasoned email that, you know, I don't agree with this event. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't take the professor's side. He took the students who held him and other faculty and staff hostage. And some of those faculty members are now denouncing Professor Weinstein for making their lives more difficult. Understood. And folks, we're talking with Scott Greer, the author of No Campus for White Men, and on the Daily Caller, he's got a column dated May twenty seventh, two thousand seventeen, that. Uh, is titled No Campus for Professors Opposed to Anti-White Racism. I suggest everyone reads that. We'll put it in the program description. Interesting set of circumstances. Why Why has there been a virtual blackout? Boy, I feel stupid even asking this question. But there's been a virtual blackout in the mainstream media about this. No one's talking about this. Why not? And what's what's the toxicity? Well, I can well, almost answer main- that. Go ahead. Yeah, for the mainstream media, they don't want to cover it because it hurts their own side. I mean, most of these journalists are left-leaning. They want to believe that conservative worries about uh, higher education are unfounded or based on, you know, ridiculous lies. And whenever they have examples of this, they don't want to cover it because it hurts their own side. And they would prefer to cover, you know, whatever latest uh, Trump scandal they want to gin up and get outraged by instead of covering this. And even they criticize people for... uh, for even giving it any attention. There was a lot of negative... The only time journalists that I can remember gave a lot of attention towards the Evergreen State was criticizing Tucker Carlson for having the Evergreen State professor on when they believed he should have been covering, you know, some Trump scandal that they were that they would rather have covered than what was going on at Evergreen State. So they're able to dictate a lot of these narratives and what messages they want, uh, want getting out to the American public. So if they have, you know, CNN or MSNBC showing these images of, you know, marauding students with baseball bats trying to find, you know, imaginary white supremacists on their campus and kicking out a progressive left-wing professor for saying, like, you know, having a whole day where he kicked white students out it sounds pretty stupid and is also an act of oppression, not an act of opposing oppression. You know, they don't want that story out there. They don't want their own side looking good. They don't want to 
provide evidence for conservative worries and uh, conservative media worries about higher education. So they, they don't want to give it any attention. They would they want to prefer they want to prefer to push their own narratives against any ideas and narratives that go against that. So they would just want to completely focus on Trump or anything bad that somehow can be connected to Trump than to worry about what's going on at Evergreen State or any other college campus. Understood. Okay. And, and folks, by the way, um, Scott Greer does outline detail pretty much what he said here, but it goes into... uh, Exquisite detail in his book, No Campus for White Men. It, I would highly recommend people uh, grab a hold of that book and, and really understand what uh, Scucker's findings are with respect to the um, with, with this ugliness, this victimization, identity politics that's going on today all across the country, and how it's creating this hostile atmosphere. Right, that, it's not uh, just in this university. This is oh, um, yeah, it's going a culture in universities all over the country. They have adopted the the, the insane politically correct uh, ideology, the social justice warrior ideology, where it's to the point where anybody who, you, first off, you're, you're you're a racist and a bigot if you don't fully agree with every everything that they throw at you, and it's getting to the point where they're demanding safe spaces or specials. Basically, it boils down to special privileges. Yeah, it, it's not, not even rights. rights. It's special not even rights, equal, though. Not even equal rights or special rights. It's special privileges now. True. Based on, uh, based on their, their, their sex, uh, their ori- sexual orientation, the, the skin color. And it, it's walking back, uh, you know, to the days of, of racism. I mean, of, Slavery almost with the segregation, uh, you know, and with this mentality, and it is so damaging. This is one thing I don't understand, Scott. Why these universities are bending uh, so far out out of reality that I believe it's really hurting these people that they're pandering to. Because when these people leave the college for the real world, if they're fortunate enough to find a job, at the first whiff of this entitlement mentality, they're going to be. They're going to be fired. They're not going to be able to function in real life, in a real society, if they believe well, that the what theory. the colleges are doing somehow uh, equates to how real life is. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the main problems with higher education is it's no longer gearing up students for the real world and for their jobs outside of it, outside of the uh, campus. It's really just a indoctrination zone in many cases. And especially what we're seeing now with all these things. And the reason why, to answer your question as to why colleges keep doing this is because the group that's loudest and the most aggressive on campus are these left-wing agitators. They're the ones who are going to show up and start screaming in a dean's office if something doesn't go their way. They're going to be threatening a professor if he speaks out on an issue in a way that they disagree with. They're the ones who are going to harass any students that are might host a conservative speaker. These are the people who get to hold college campuses because they're the loudest, most aggressive element of a college. You know, there's no opposing conservative force or pro-free speech force on campus that can equal the power and force that is given by these uh, leftist agitators. Uh, Additionally, 
the ideology of professors and faculty and you know of faculty and staff usually aligns with these pro agitators and protesters they usually most of the prof we all know that most professors are left leaning we uh, most of these administrators are also very left leaning left leaning and they have this ideology very similar to what these students have and there's even specific administrators whose only job is to make sure a specific identity group on campus is happy. You know, there's a LGBT affairs advisor, there's a multicultural affairs advisor, there's an African American affairs advisor. There's all these people and their only job is to cater to certain uh, identity groups on campus and to make sure their interests are heard. So they'll push all these ideas into the student's head that like, yeah, there's a lot of racism on campus. You should do something about it. So that might end up to them shutting down campus over some uh, silly ra racist accusation that turns out to be a hoax. And, and they keep doing this. Uh, I mean, I think with administrators, their first reaction to this is not to say no and to, you know, have a backbone and tell these kids, like, look, shut up. You you need to sit down, get an education. This is not – you can't just take over a college campus to willy-nilly to push your agenda. They, that's not their first reaction. Their first reaction is to always cave and to coddle these, these kids instead of saying no. If, they, if, if administrators and professors have been telling them no and standing up for free speech, we wouldn't have campus insanity taking over all of higher education. We wouldn't have these problems. But instead, they always cave in and coddle these kids, which only encourages them to demand more and more and to keep engaging in this ridiculous behavior that we're, that at the extreme we're seeing at Evergreen State. And yeah, you know, so it, it is going to be a problem with the main problem with this is not that it's just going to be limited to colleges, is that this could get into the real world. You know, what if they're demanding safe spaces for their, you know, Fortune 500 company? What if they're wanting a microaggression training for all these corporations? These are the type of things that we could start seeing in the next five to ten years with all these agitators graduating into the real world. I really believe this could get costly. In your article, I know that you pointed out the money aspect of it, the states that provide the money for this ridiculousness to allow this to occur, also have the power to curb it. And in your last few sentences, you know, it's your move, Washington legislature. Yeah, I get that. However, what I see taking place from this is with with all the contempt that we're seeing this this racial divisiveness this victim mentality i i i see this door flying open for lawsuits hey they hurt my feelings um it, it's all about feelings it's not much about law anymore it's all about the perception of victimization and and not real victimization any longer you know someone wrote an article i read this weekend from a few maybe it was a year, year and a half ago, uh, and it was about just the victim mentality and how it could be adopted by groups looking to uh, sway political discourse or, or gain some, some societal advantage and, ad and adapting this victimhood mentality based on feelings in, in the process. Uh, it surprisingly has accomplished what we've seen today. Folks, we're up against the break. We're talking with Scott Greer. He is a journalist and an author. His book, No Campus for White Men, The Transformation. Well, where'd it go here? The Transformation from Higher Education into Hateful Indoctrination. We actually, one of the listeners just emailed us and said that they bought the book and they love it. We'll be right back with, with Mr. Greer after these short messages. Don't go anywhere.
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Special guest right now with us, Scott Greer, the deputy editor of the Daily Caller, also the author of No Campus for White Men, and the uh, the author of a, an opinion op-ed piece on the Daily Caller from May 27th, No Campus for Professors Opposed to Anti-White Racism, that concerning the Evergreen State College situation. Um, Scott, I, this this whole this this whole this is a mess. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, more articles that, that you have or additional articles include um, Restrict the Internet by Theresa May, but, but uh, uh, there's a measure of uh, anti, 
well, a, a pro-Islamic, anti, anything anti-Islamic there. And of course, uh, you've got the Confederate aspects, uh, the Confederate, uh, uh, protest. Uh, you wrote about that and the latest one as well being white is terrorism. That by the crazed Looney Tune, uh, NSA leaker, who is it, reality winner or something, whatever the name is. But nonetheless, bottom line, this appears to be an epidemic all across the country. Take it, take us wherever you want to take us here. Um, your findings, your research, your writings, just wherever you want to go, my friend. I would say, uh, I would say that kind of one thing that we're seeing more of this evergreen stuff and more of extreme stuff throughout the public sphere, not just in colleges, is really an extreme reaction by the left to the election of Donald Trump. It's really kind of set off something in a, deep in the American psyche, especially, the, well, particularly the left-wing American psyche, that something has gone terribly wrong and that we it has made them go absolutely crazy, that they don't know how to handle this massive loss This this for them uh, and this thing that they said would never happen, it happened. And they're still, you know, eight months after it happened, they're still trying to cope with it and try to figure out what went wrong. And it's also made them willing to engage in violence, to engage in wanting to erase all these things that they don't like, such as Confederate monuments. Now there's a bigger push to eliminate Confederate monuments or even any other historical markers. There's now calls to uh, take down statues of Sam Houston. Uh, So there's all these, you know, wasn't really associated with the Confederacy. So there's all these manners and things that are going on in this country that are probably a direct result of Donald Trump. They, they realize that there's something in going in this country that they don't really have control of, that, they're, that they overlooked when Barack Obama was in power, that and something's gone amiss. And instead of trying to fix that or come to grips with reality, it has made them have a violent reaction towards it, to resist, as they like to say, the resistance, to resist any attempts to uh, go against their preconceived narratives and preconceived biases. Uh, so, so this Evergreen thing is not just, it's an extreme expression that we probably wouldn't have even seen before Trump came into office. I think there's a heightened sense of grievance and willingness to use extreme measures to enforce their agenda. I would say that we, you know, we never saw riots over speakers coming to colleges prior in recent memory prior to Trump. Now that Trump's in power, we see it once a month, where there's a violent, where there's a violent riot on because some conservative speaker showed up and leftists didn't like that. So, so this has kind of really set off a deep polarization, deep division in our country that is now a lot of ways teetering on anti-white uh, racism because, I mean, when a lot of these liberal articles, they pointed out that white America, a lot of a general conclusion is that white America is inherently racist and by electing Donald Trump, it's more racist than we could ever imagine. So that has made them think that, you know, out in the heartland, there's a secret fascist menace that they must crush, and violence or any other means is necessary if it's going towards that goal. It's it's ridiculous. The entire situation is ridiculous, but the Donald Trump factor obviously does play a uh, play an important role here. I I, I just I, I cannot make the intellectual um, connection 
I, I understand what I'm seeing. I just don't understand the underlying element with Donald Trump being in office and the increase, the severity of the uh, protests that, that we're seeing. Again, I, I just, how, how do you intellectualize that? How do you explain that really on an intellectual basis? Or well, just, the, or did you just now? Well, on an intellectual basis, uh, this is all seen because the people who are reacting out and violent and lashing out and the students who forced uh, Professor Weidenstein off campus at Evergreen State, and as I outlined in, no campus for, in my book, No Campus for White Men, is they're able to justify this and have the intellectual justification for it by saying that all these people are victims. They're all secretly impressed by the society, that their lashing out is not you know, bullies uh, shutting down speech. It's oppressed victims rising up against the evil that powers that be, which happens to be some, you know, milk toast conservative who's just trying to give his point of view and then getting, you know, his head slapped or something. Uh, so they're able to have this mentality with that because, um, there, as I outlined in my book, there's this whole new moral culture that's developing, which a lot of sociologists are calling the victimhood culture, which privilege, which prizes, excuse me, not privilege, because that's the worst thing in this moral culture. They prize victim, victimhood above all other values. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your merits. It's not about your inner dignity as a human being or even honor. It's all about victim. And that's why there's this, uh, I call it a victimhood Olympics that occurs in a lot of these left in a lot of these left wing circles. I, we saw this this weekend at a Washington D.C. Pride Parade. It was disrupted by Black Lives Matter activists who were calling it racist. <laughs> so, uh, you know, how do you how do you align with that? But that's the kind of conflicts we see. They're they're all competing to say who's the bigger victim because that that affords them greater benefits and power. If they're the top victim group, if they're the most oppressed group there is, then they get more then they get more prizes and privileges. At the same time, this culture sees that anyone who's privileged as the worst sin you could be. It would be, uh, you know, being a sinner in, in in Christianity. You are tainted by that privilege. You're a terrible person because you're privileged. And it's not even based on socioeconomic factors. This is not based on how your income bracket, because you could be the wealthy child of a, you know. A billionaire, but if you happen to be African American, then you're oppressed. But if you're the son of a poor coal miner who's, you know, never had much given to him in life and, you know, is having to scrape by in college by working like two jobs, if you're white, you happen to be privileged and you're evil. So this is how the system works. It's all about skin color and specific identities that are created to foster a mentality of oppression, and it has nothing to do with income or class. It's all about race, gender, and sexual orientation. So, and that's how they justify it, because they don't see these students, they don't see these students who are marauding around campus threatening professors at Evergreen State as, you know, a bunch of intellectually stunted bullies. They see them as heroes against oppression, against which I don't know how threatening a poor professor who, poor left-wing professor with a baseball bat is uh, fighting against oppression, but in their minds they see this as, as you know, a heroic quest to, uh, for equality. Okay. Okay, I, I I get that. And by the way, in uh, in your book, not that I have to tell you, but folks, in uh, Scott's book, he's got a chapter on 
let me see here. Uh, Whether will campus insanity take America? You know, it, it's again, that's almost prophetic in in your writing. And of course, you go through the victimhood culture, which which we spoke about, and identity politics, and guilty of being white and such. Um, it, it's truly amazing. Um, before before I ask about solutions or how to fight back, you also have a chapter in your book about rape culture feminism. And this is something that, that irritates me a lot. Not, not well, I, I want to be very specific when I, when I talk about this. Uh, recently, I, with Sean Hannity, for example, uh, in my view, uh, a uh, unhinged individual accused uh, Sean Hannity of what would equate to potential sexual harassment or, or some sort of something happened that that was depicted uh, as sexual harassment and this happened like a decade and a half ago all right uh, and that, that's when Sean Hannity came out I believe it was on the 24th of uh, April or 27th of April and, and said look this is just you know he's he's, he's had enough of this uh, and he's fighting back the, the, the to me accusations of uh, sexual impropriety or impropriety in general really dilutes or has an adver- adverse effect upon the true victims of of, of rape, for example, of sexual har- harassment, of sex crimes. What, what, what is this rape cultural f- culture feminism of which you speak in your book, of which you write in your book? Well, it's it's to kind of take a step back. Rape culture and these culture of, uh, of encouraging false rape accusations has become a pretty big uh, trend in higher education. There's this uh, what, there's a statistic that everyone believes, especially on the left, believes and is used to create the narrative that colleges encourage sexual assault. There's this epidemic of sexual assault against women in colleges, and it says that one in five women are college women are sexually assaulted during their four years. At, in higher education, which actually, if you look at the data, that's not really the case. Uh, according to the Department of Justice's own statistics, it's less than one. It's less than one percent of, of co- women who attend college are sexually assaulted. But they like to go with this one in five uh, statistic because they want to prove that there's this huge epidemic of sexual assault going on. But the instances they use it includes a lot of things that would not be considered sexual assault under court of law, such as. Both participants are drinking, and they wake up, and then she's like, "Well, I don't, I don't really, you know, I kind of regret that, so I think that's sexual assault." Well, in a court of law, they're going to say clearly that's not a sexual assault. But what happens is these cases are not tried in a standard court of law for the most part. They're mostly tried in these administrative tribunals where they have a lower standard of evidence used to convict. So you could come in, you could be like, look, I have all these text messages showing it was a consensual relationship. Uh, you know, she agreed. I did, went through all the motions, and then these students will get expelled. In the same way, a lot of these people are young women who are claiming that there's all this rape going on or making false accusations of sexual harassment or rape. It's used to gain power and benefits. Same with all these students who will claim that there's uh, fantasy racism holding back in their college classes when there's no such thing. They're just doing that to gain power and attention. They'll use that for the same case. I mean, the two big cases 
that we had in recent years of false rape accusations, the UVA gang rape hoax, where a, a troubled young woman claimed she was the victim of a brutal fraternity gang rape that never even happened. She had never been to this fraternity house, never even knew any fraternity members. She just claimed it, and she made up, like, fake characters and all this stuff. It was done to gain attention for her being a victim and a and the school silence to her, you know, pleas for, for help. And the same at Columbia University in 2015, where a woman was carrying around a mattress to protest um, her rape, which it turned out it was a totally consensual matter. She was just mad that the man in the question never returned her messages. Uh, so it was a way of it was a way of of getting back at him. That that's why she made the rape accusation. Mm. So. Uh, th this is not. This is something that's not just happening in college campuses. There are people who will use uh, claims of, se of sexual harassment or possible sexual assault in order to destroy people and in order to destroy, you know, ex-lovers or people or people that they just don't like. It's a way for them to gain power and attention. And most people are not, and especially in a college environment. Everyone's told that like every every victim's story deserves to deserves to be to believe, no matter how ridiculous or false it is, it needs to be heard out and believed. Uh, so there, there. If you make a false rape accusation in college, you're more likely to be believed and even have the the person you're accusing have their life ruined, no matter how ridiculous or false it is. Okay, and we. Wow. I mean, obviously, we've seen cases like this. Um, and not to take away from the, the sexual assault aspect of this, but, you know, within the universities, we're not only seeing the, and I don't want to really tie these two together, but the, the racist, the hoax racist attacks that we've seen. It seems like the colleges are producing a lot of these, um, false attacks, but the sexual assault's obviously different from the, 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 the fake hate crimes. Um, but there have been a few cases in the last few years that have ruined people's uh, scholarships, their athletic careers, that were sexual assaults that were false, that never happened. I think the big one was uh, was it the Duke, the Duke case. But Yeah, Duke lacrosse back in 2006, 2007. Yeah, we see, uh, you know, newspapers being sued over there, uh, or was it a magazine? But either way, these things were becoming more prevalent in, in the universities, and at the same time, there are actual um, assaults that, and in, in, we see this a lot with the sporting worlds in the universities. And I think the only way the only way to fix this, we we just have to, uh, you know, listen to to all the accusations. But the investigations need to be. We can't convict in the court of public opinion, which is how so many of these these either way these cases uh, end up end up bad, um, and, and with the terrible publicity and and ruining people's lives before any facts are found. And it's unfortunate that it happens, but it does. Uh, and I don't think we can, you know, going back to what I said earlier about the, the mentality in some of these universities, um, and if we can talk about these hoax hate crimes that we're seeing the increase of, uh, I don't know, the latest one was, um, I think the somebody hung bananas from ropes on trees, and it, it turned out that it was the, the student who made the accusation that was, that was caught. But until we... Uh, Locked down on this on this uh, victim mentality. See, it's so hard when dealing with this, Scott. What do you? What's your approach to to dealing with this victim mentality? Because you have people who are uh, victims of sexual assaults, for one instance. Or, or what's your standard, I suppose? Yeah, I, I guess that's a better question. What you know? How do we um, get law enforcement involved? How do we 
make sure that these things don't continue to happen. Harsher punishments for for those who are who are caught, you know, making these claims up. Yeah, I mean, harsher punishments for false accusers would, I mean, would go a long way because many of these uh, false accusers of sexual assault on a college campus are never punished and kind of tying that in with what you mentioned with fake hate crimes. The same thing happens with a lot of these people who claim that they were the victim of a hate crime. There's uh, in colleges rarely do any type of punishment to those people who claim that there was a hate crime hoax. There was, there was a famous case uh, when there was protests at the University of Missouri in 2015 uh there was at some point the student body president claimed that Klansmen were, were roving the uh, the college area, and they were, you know, I guess they had time traveled from the 1920s or something, and they, they were armed and dangerous and stay away from the windows. It was a totally false accusation, uh, but he just apologized for it, and he, everything kept on moving as, as before. Uh, a lot of times these people don't. Uh, I don't know, face prosecution, unless they did commit a crime and then claimed it was a racist or somebody who did it. Uh, there's a case uh, in Mississippi where a church was burnt and they spray painted Trump 2016. became a huge media story right before the election. I think this was a week before the election. became a huge media story. Everyone's like showing that this is how Trump's leading to a rise of hate crimes and yada, yada, yada. Turned out it was a black parishioner who did it for his own reasons, had nothing to do with Trump. And and very little media coverage. He was charged with that, of course, because he committed a crime of arson and vandalism. He was able to be charged there. But a lot of these times in colleges, if there's no crime committed and them, you know, drawing some racist insignia on campus to show that there's, a, you know, a wave of racism taking over the university, they're they're not going to face any consequences for it. So they can keep doing this and they can keep pushing their agenda to further their own ideas and everything in that regard. And so the, unless there's consequences for making these false accusations, people are going to keep making them. So if a student knows that she can make a false allegation against, uh, you know, an ex-boyfriend and he can be kicked out of college, have his whole life ruined, you know, his family have to pay out a ton of money in legal fees, and what's going to happen to her? She can graduate on time. Nothing's going to happen to her. Uh, you know, her life, she can keep portraying herself as a victim, which earns her status and rewards, you know, if she's, you know, inclined to do so, she, she can go through with that and not have to worry about as many consequences as the person who is the victim of a false accusation. So exactly. the the real part is, is to make sure that there's stricter consequences for this, because as a society, if there's a desire by the media or, you know, the powers that be that they want to believe that there's a rising wave of hate crimes in the wake of Trump, and they will massively promoted and anyone who says they're a victim they will instantly be turned into a hero there's already these um, rewards already laden with doing that if they know that there's going to be serious consequences for it such as jail time or massive fines they'd be less inclined to uh, claim uh, false allegations of hate crimes or sexual assault and we could probably get away from some of this victim mentality that's taken over our country all right interesting now, where do we go? Well, are, are are you seeing, based on your research and, and, and your monitoring of, of current events, are you seeing uh, the the subculture of victims, whether it be race or whether it be uh, minority status, whatever it might be? Are you seeing this? I know what you said, but uh, in in the um, uh, looking at this just down the road a little bit, are, are you are you seeing 
them digging their heels in and we're going to have bigger problems down the road? Or do you see kind of a whiplash effect, enough is enough, and it's going to turn against those people who are claiming victimhood? There is some backlash in terms of, you know, more people are waking up to this problem. But so far, it's kind of taking on its own course. It's kind of continuing on its own path. It's becoming more extreme, uh, as we see with, you know, the original Evergreen State, that there is not a sufficient level of backlash to stop their behavior. Their behavior is only becoming worse and more extreme where they can shut down an entire college campus. So in some ways, it has to get worse. Uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better, to <laughs> put it more mildly, uh, wow. because administrators are going to have to, or it's not so much administrators, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be lawmakers going out and seeing that this is a real problem of higher education, that there's public universities that is used, that it relies on taxpayer dollars to fund and to survive, and they're using it to promote these silly activities and shutting down free speech, and them realizing that, hey, you know, all this money that we're spending on higher education, it's not going to create a, you know, smart, intelligent workforce. It's creating these left-wing monsters that they're not going to, then that it should be shut down. So the real, I think the most efficient solution that I can see in the short term is lawmakers calling for defunding certain programs that are inclined to encourage this behavior, such as diversity funding, funding for, uh, you know, these administrators that their only job to do is to encourage identity po- uh, political struggle, or, you know, are professors that are in encouraging the hiring of professors who teach anti-white rhetoric and that, you know, all white people are racist and should be exterminated or anything like that. They should use, they should look at the funding for colleges and try to figure out a way to cut out all the extremes and to punish administrators. You know, if administrators are going to cave in to people wanting uh, to suppress free speech, then they should be brought in for Senate testimony, you know, state Senate testimony, and answer for why they're doing that. If they are humiliated and pressured, feel pressure from state lawmakers, and and that is used as a counterforce to campus protesters, then we might see change. I think we would see a lot more change if we had lawmakers aggressively pursuing these measures. And Washington, uh, I think you briefly mentioned this earlier, is that there were a few lawmakers who said that, like, maybe we should cut funding for Trevor Green State, but it's not likely to happen because Democrats, no matter how crazy colleges are getting, they they will not cut funding to higher education. So maybe the parents will, yeah, maybe but, yeah. By, by not sending the, 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 their their offspring, their their um, <laughs> snot nosed offspring that, that that creates such problems like this. Well, even the uh, even the most well respected universities in this country, like Harvard, are adapting these these same uh, the same mentality that the the Evergreen State College is adapting. Um, so parents, have, I mean. If you want, the only way it seems that it's going to be fixed is by parents pulling their children out of the schools or not, uh, you know, telling them, hey, I'm going to pay for your college, I'm going to help you get into college, but you cannot go to these schools. Um, and any school that promotes, pervert, <laughs> promotes, uh, you know, the restricting or oppressing of speech based on political ideology, should, that should be one of the big first red flags that if you want your student to get a, a well-balanced uh, education that, 
you know, schools that that oppress people's freedom of speech will not be will not be tolerated. So Scott Greer, No Campus for a White Man: The Transformation of Higher Education into Hateful Indoctrination. That's the book, folks. You need to get that. Scott, about a minute and a half left. It's all yours, my friend. All right. Well, tons of time to get out of the last message. I would just say that kind of going on this. We're, it's good. Things are going to get very interesting in the fall. I mean, co- most colleges are already out for the summer, and this is going to continue. What I document in No Camps for White Men is going to keep happening in the fall. I think we're going to see even more extreme examples. I think what we happen at Evergreen State is not the end of things. This is just only a precursor to more extreme activities, and we're going to see what we saw at Evergreen State happen to dozens of other colleges across the country. And hopefully, in the fall, things get so so extreme that lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, come together to work on solutions to defunding these uh, horrific uh, horrific examples of suppressing speech and encouraging anti-white racism on their colleges. So hopefully that happens. But what we see, what we saw this spring after the election of Donald Trump, is only a f- uh, foreshadowing what we'll probably see in the fall. Mm. Didn't want to hear that, <laughs> no. but, but thank you for being, well, thank you for your candor and, and also for your, um, research, your investigation into this matter. Something, a subject that, that, uh, seems to be the third rail of politics, the third rail of, of, uh, talk radio, the third rail of, uh, media itself. You did a great job on No Campus for White Men. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for your time tonight. And, uh, I, I look forward to your next book. I know you got one, two, or five more books in you there to write. I'm sure you do. Well, thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Thank you. Scott Greer, No Campus for White Men, The Transformation of Higher Education into Hateful Indoctrination. Also an a journalist for the Daily Caller. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you, he's a great, that's a great book. I would urge everyone to grab their copy today. Hey, Father's Day's coming up. Make a good Father's Day gift. Folks, uh, Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com is our website. You can follow us on social networking, as well, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and uh, subscribe to our YouTube. Yeah, yeah, please so definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, by the way, I was on with Kevin Ship from six to seven. You got to check that out. We'll Ooh. be right back. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is? It's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, you need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water. But a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. 
Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. Or, I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Hagman and Hagman report, lifting the veil, lifting the veil from your eyes, lifting the veil to expose that that shriveled up old man behind the curtain, behind the veil, pulling the levers and uh, regulating, uh, dictating what you think, what you say. That's what's going on today, really. We are lifting the veil. Actually, lifting the veil is a reference to our guest, uh, IQ El-Razuli, his book, his uh, work, Lifting the Veil, all about... Muslim um, uh, domination, actually. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about what happened this weekend, what's happening, what's taking place all across the country, all across the world, and what we need to do about it. He's uh, Mike Uel Rizzoli. I think this might be interview number 1,260. I don't know. I know it was uh, 1,257 the last time we spoke. Hopefully we're... Uh, well, hopefully he's... he's Still kicking in that, uh, in that realm. Um, one of my favorite guests. Before we get to IQ Al Razuli, Father's Day, this Sunday, take care of dad while you still can. I know, I know, I know that you, you love your dads. You want to give them something special. Last year, I got something special from my children. And I, here's what I recommend. I recommend a package from Omaha Steaks. This is, if you if you have a father, 
listen to me carefully, because this is so easy. This is the best gift to give your dad. We have the perfect Father's Day gift. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how this Father's Day, for just forty nine ninety nine, you can get our limited-time Father's Day package when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. That's all you have to do. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar. Folks, Omaha Steaks offers everything that your dad could ever want for his grilling needs, from the best cuts of beef to poultry to seafood to you name it, they've got it. And Omaha Steaks has got the highest quality cuts, one-of-a-kind flavor. It's convenient. All their beef is USDA inspected for quality. It comes in this this wonderful container. It's uh, uh, self-refrigerated. It just it's 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 fun to it's fun to order. It's fun to receive, and it's easier than ever. Now, right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited time offer to listeners of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Here's how you get that. And this is really an amazing deal. You'll get 80% off of Omaha Steaks Father's Day package. And here's, here's what you'll get. You, you, you gotta listen to this list because it's huge. Two tender, mild filet mignon steaks, two bold beefy top sirloins, four crispy chicken fried steaks, four juicy boneless pork chops, four all beef Omaha steak burgers. They just melt in your mouth. Four award-winning Jumbo Franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs, a pound, count them, a pound of steakhouse fries. Those are really good. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus, plus, you'll get four additional burgers free. Again, this is a limited-time package for the listeners of the Hagman Hagman Report for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type in HH in the search bar and add Father's Day package to your cart. Folks, don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in HH in the search bar, grab your dad, and fire up that grill. Now, joining us uh, go ahead. Joining us now is author IQ Al-Razuli. He's been a guest on the show before. He's among the foremost authorities in the world on the subject of Islam, and he has... A, a book series that is uh, all over the place. People, uh, I know so many people who have who have read in who have read it. The lifting the veil, um, and Mr. Rizzoli, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. I know that it's either real late or real early from where you're at. You're um, at an undisclosed location because, well, for your safety. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate the fact that you've got the uh, temerity, the the uh, the guts, simply put, to come on and talk about this. Uh, IQ, this weekend we saw the anti-Sharia rallies, compliments of Act for America, organized the nationwide protests on June 10th. You have the new far-right yes, yes, the group, right. according to Southern Poverty Law right. Center. Then we saw, at the same the same cities, we saw groups of morons out there holding signs saying, Muslims welcome, uh, uh, don't, uh, well, uh, don't profile Muslims. Uh, they're, they're calling people who don't like Sharia, they're calling uh, us bigots, um, hate mongers, signs of no, no hate, no fear. Uh, they're accusing us of saying that we are proponents for violence against Muslims, which, which is not true. The mayor of, uh, where was it? Somewhere in, uh, um, Mayor Adler, I guess this was in Austin, I guess it was, uh, saying that, uh, Muslims are welcome in my town. 
IQ, what, what in the world is going on here? What are we seeing, and why should we be very concerned about what we're seeing? You have dysfunctional young people in America. They became dysfunctional because of 60 years of indoctrination by so-called liberal left-wing uh, academicians. It's not a, this is not conspiracy theory. This is a fact. You ask university students of the highest order uh, from Stanford or MIT or Columbia or Harvard, simple questions about the world, simple questions about the American Constitution, simple questions about American politics, and they're completely and utterly clueless. And they have been made clueless deliberately to be literally indoctrinated and controlled by the so-called left liberal. This is not propaganda. You can Google this. You can see it on YouTube, where young people who were asked questions in public, simple questions, and they were not able to answer them. So those people who are welcoming Muslims and those people who are speaking about Islamophobia, nobody is asking them a simple question, which is, which is the following. Since 9-11... How many Muslims have been murdered in the United States of America? Do you know the answer is zero? But in the same time, but that's important. They talk about Islamophobia. They talk about fear. Right. In the meantime, hundreds of Americans have been murdered since 9-11 in the United States of America. It's true. So where is the Islamophobia? Who is afraid of whom? What is this Islamophobia? Muslims hate every human being on the planet who is not a Muslim. So they have phobia against Jews, phobia against Christians, phobia against Hindus, phobia against Buddhists, and phobia against anybody who is not a Muslim. Hmm. So really, who has the phobia? Us or them? But nobody asks the question. That's true. Okay. That's that's very true. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please interrupt me as many times as you want. Well, uh, this is uh, remarkable. You're exactly right. And uh, here's here's my takeaway from this weekend. As I as I watched the various news coverage on uh, on the monitors here at the office, and uh, I went through everything I could possibly go through. I, I here's my takeaway from from this weekend. I I don't believe people understand what Sharia law is. I think I think that they've been brainwashed into believing Sharia is something that it's not. That it can coexist with democracy, which it can't. That it is a cultural option, which it's not. It's an Islamic mandate. So IQ, with your knowledge. With, with your understanding of Islam, can you tell our audience exactly what Sharia law is? Yes. It's really very simple. By the way, any listener, all they have to do, and they have computers, practically every household in the United States of America is not a computer. Google Sharia. Literally, just Google Sharia. S-H-A-R-I-A. Sharia are a body of law which controls the followers of Muhammad called Muslims politically theologically economically 
and in any other, every way of life possible. Sharia is based on two pillars. The pillars are called Muhammad Quran and Muhammad Sunnah. Muhammad Sunnah is the traditions about Muhammad, how he lived, how he murdered, how he raped, how he hated, how he loved. So these two are the foundations upon which Sharia is built. Actually, Sharia represents Muhammad. Why do I always say that Islam is a cult belief system? Simple. Ask any Muslim who was the perfect, the most perfect human being that was ever created upon earth. Oh, they will tell you Muhammad. it was Muhammad. Absolutely. Muhammad was superior to Jesus, Moses, and Abraham. Now, since they emulate Muhammad, are they following Allah? The answer is no. They're following Muhammad. This is cultism. This is not religion. Google cult and Google religion. You'll find out that religion is the belief in a deity, in a god. Cultism is the belief and emulation of a human being, the cult of Nazi Germany or Hitler or Stalin or Saddam Hussein in my country, Iraq. That's cultism. Islam is not a religion and I proved it. I proved that it's not a religion. In the last talk we had a few weeks ago, I proved that Allah, the God of Muhammad, the God of Islam, the God of Muslims is most certainly not the same as the God of the Bible, is not the same as the God of Jesus, Moses, and Abraham. And I proved it in less than 10 minutes. But Mr. Hadman, let me tell you something. It goes way over the head of humans. What I have revealed is so immense, and I'm not exaggerating. It is so immense, it doesn't sink in. Like when I tell you about Sharia, and I tell Americans about Sharia, I've been telling Europeans about Sharia for the last 30 years. It hasn't sunk in. Why? Also simple. No decent human being can believe that a religion called Islam is so degenerate and so evil. They can't believe it. That's it. That literally, as, though, uh, as much as it sounds simplistic, it isn't. Those who are demonstrating, not a single one of them has read a single verse in Muhammad's Quran. And as you remember, I have always said, don't waste your money buying the Quran. Google Quran. And don't waste your time reading the whole of 114 chapters. All you need to do is read chapters 2 to chapters 9 inclusive. And if you come to any conclusion opposite to mine, uh, the person who does that should be put in a mental asylum. Back to you, sir. Um, real quick, IQ, on this... Uh this concept of, of the perfect man. Uh, I, I repeat that because we saw in the news just last week there was a billboard uh, put up in Indianapolis. And this billboard drew uh, a lot of attention from the locals and from the media. Now, the, the title of the billboard was um, Perfect Man. And it made about six points, I believe. It said... 
It didn't it didn't say what religion it was. It did not say uh, not the name Muhammad. It, on the top, it said the perfect man, and then there's six points underneath. One is married a six-year-old. Two, slave owner and dealer. Three, rapist. Four, beheaded 600 Jews in one day. Five, 13 wives, 11 at one time. And six, tortured and killed unbelievers. And so the title is just Perfect Man, and then it has those six points on it. Um, a, a newspaper article in, in the local TV crew there did a, a piece on the billboard interviewing people, and immediately you had people making, uh, you know, saying this was hate speech, that this was lies. Um, but they never said Islam. The billboard never says Islam, never says Muhammad. But the, the people being interviewed automatically knew who the billboard was talking about, apparently, because they all said that this was a perversion uh, and hate speech against this religion. Any of the claims that I listed, um, do they sound inaccurate? That you want me to go over them again? No, I know okay. about the billboard. Okay, I know. Believe it or not, I know more about what's happening in America than most Americans, <laughs> because I'm interested. As you said, and you pointed out the most accurate thing: the name of Muhammad is not mentioned, and Islam is not mentioned. Yet, who? found out it it had to do with Islam. Muslims. This is the remarkable part. It wasn't Americans, ordinary Americans. Ordinary Americans could not associate that billboard with Islam. If you hit them on the face, they wouldn't associate. They don't know. Muslims yeah. knew. And it was the Muslims who complained. And yet, as you said, the name Muhammad doesn't appear. And the name Islam does not appear. And yet every single character they mentioned, and there were only six, I will give you 20 more. All of them derogatory about Islam. It's not mentioned. Yes, he was a mass murderer, Muhammad. Let me put it in a nutshell. He was the most despicable, bipedal creature that ever soiled the face of this earth. And I tell the Muslim, please, sue me. Back to you. But, you know, my, my big problem with this is uh, a few things, and we we've gone over these before. But one, the media, the media, almost from a uh, at least in this story, from a place of ignorance, you know, plays the dummy. Ignorance or complicity? Well, in this case, ignorance. You know, okay. they they were kind of they didn't they were just interviewing people, but they you know went on to say based on their reactions that this was they believed it was untrue the claims in this billboard. But IQ, will we ever see? Uh, what do we have to do, uh, I guess, in the, with this billboard example? Would it have been better if they actually cited in the Quran where each of those claims were? What can somebody do to give a more effective message um, that these people can't deny? Here, here's what I believe. IQ, here's what I believe people should do. Take your we- If they want to put a billboard, put a billboard of your website, uh, <laughs> you, you know, simply put, because you've got all the answers there. And I'm, I'm serious about that. You're absolutely right, but I'll tell you something. The beauty of the billboard is exactly what you said. It did not mention Muhammad. It did not mention Islam. So it cannot possibly be Islamophobia. It cannot be hate. It cannot be anything. It cannot. Unless, and the news media, I have said it for 12 years, maybe 14 years. The worst enemy of the American people is not ISIS, is not Islam, are not the terrorists. It is the news media. Because they pervert everything. They lie about Look what they're doing to him about Trump. Look what they've been doing to Trump for the last, what, now almost two years. 
non-stop, always lies, always fake news, always perverting whatever he said. So the fault is not only with the news media, the fault is always resides with we the people. The we the people, thank God enough of we the people were, were intelligent enough and had the guts and the spine to elect Donald Trump. But Donald Trump cannot succeed. I've said that also on your show. Donald Trump alone cannot possibly succeed against the enormous enmities by the uh, Democrats, by the rhinos, by the news media, by the Europeans, by everybody. He needs your help. How do I mean he needs your help? When a newspaper says something against Trump which is fake, call them, email them, disconnect from them. When any, let's say CNN, or a newspaper like the Washington Post, when they do these things, it is up to you, the American people, to defend the president. He can't do it all by himself and the tweets. He can't, it's impossible. You disconnect with CNN, you disconnect with MSNBC. These creatures, these entities cannot exist without you, the American people. Because without you watching them, there will be no advertising. They will collapse, literally will completely self-destruct within a month. But Americans are not doing what I'm telling, saying. And my suggestions are not unacceptable or impossible to achieve. Why go to CNN if you have Hagman and Hagman? I mean it. Why? Why go to CNN? You never get anything different from CNN, ever. I have been watching CNN for God knows how many years. Always lying. Always perverting the truth the truth and the facts. What can I tell you? It's always, it ends with the American people. The reason why your students are stupid, the majority of them, is because you American parents did not take it upon yourselves to go and confront the teachers and the headmaster that they are teaching, in fact, teaching inferior education to your children. And they are teaching them inferior. In Asia, in China, in India, in Japan, in Korea, the standard of education is superior to your standard in the United States of America. Don't take my word for it. Google it. Check it. That's not a very nice thing to say. You should be number one in the world. You really should be number one in the world. But you're not. Or not. I mean, look, I had children, and in my country, not my country, when I came to Europe, if and when the teacher was giving them information which was wrong, according to what I understood, especially on the history of the Middle East, and the history of Islam, and the subject of Islam, I didn't hesitate one microsecond to go and confront them. Ever. And put them you know, in the right order. Because the way the parents, it's the parents who control the education system. It shouldn't be the, go- the government. The government, when it interferes with the education system, always destroys the education system. And common care, is it common care you have? Yes, common core, yeah, common core. Yeah, well, you have the worst system. 
And they are educating your children with Islam, about Islam. And they are educating them about Islam as if Islam was a peaceful religion. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a $200,000 challenge to any human being and every human being to find one single operative verse in Muhammad's Quran that shows any compassion and mercy towards unbelievers kuffar. Unbelievers and kuffar today are 80% of humanity who is not a Muslim. Which means all Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, atheists, agnostics, anybody who is not a Muslim. $200,000 find one single verse out of over 6,000 verses. Cannot be done. My $200,000 have been safe for the last 12 years. And they'll be safe for the next 2,000 years. And what I'm asking, I'm asking simple questions from you who are listening. Don't take my word for it. I always say don't take my word for it. I want you to double check me. I want you to triple check me. Find fault and take some of one and a half million dollars worth of challenges that I have on the internet. Back to you, sir. IQ, uh, real quick, back to, we have, uh, two and a half minutes before the break. Wanted to ask you one, fa- one final question on the, on the billboard. I remember the question I wanted to ask earlier. So the, the, the billboard with the title, The Perfect Man Goes Up, and you have these Muslims who are giving interviews to the news media, both on TV and for print, and they're saying that not only is this not true, they're saying that it is offensive to their religion. Now, is that, uh, some sort of, of lie or deception just to try to make Islam look good? Or are they saying that they're, they're offended by that, not knowing, um, you know, what is in the Quran? I guess what I'm saying is, do they really believe what is in the Quran, what Muhammad did is offensive, or is it just offensive to them that it is on display for all to see? <laughs> You're right. They know it is offensive. They know it is disaster for, for, for Islam. But it doesn't mention Islam. It doesn't mention Muhammad. So how did they know it was Muhammad and Islam? Simple question. Nobody asks the simple questions. This is called taqiyah. Taqiyah is Islamic religiously sanctioned deception of all who are not Muslims. Americans, 97% of Americans are not Muslim. So every Muslim will use taqiyah to deceive you, pretending that he or she are part and parcel of the American dream. They can never, ever be part and parcel of the American dream. Amen. You speak the truth. And as we approach the break, uh, IQ, I'm going to tell, tell you a little anecdotal story here. Uh, you were on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, what I had done was I had taken the your appearance and I had created a standalone video. All right. And folks, listen to this, because <laughs> this will tell you exactly... The, the fight that we are having, the fight that we are up against. I uploaded this video that I, I edited. I, I took uh, great pains to edit the video. I, I put in uh, video overlays uh, with with respect to you know your website, what you're talking about, and such. And I uploaded it on June fifth. Actually, that was what just a week ago. Actually, and within the first. 12 hours, we had over 10,000 downloads of this video. 24 hours later, we had another 10,000 downloads. Within 
I, it was like hour number 27. I got notified by YouTube saying that the content was non-advertiser friendly and was essentially uh, offensive to, uh, uh, to, to our subscriber base. But what, that aside, what I watched, I watched our number go from 27, 28,000 views in the first, uh, 24 hours down to less than 5,000 views. That number went down 20,000. And the, the, the only thing I can think of IQ is the fact, and the reason I brought this up is, is not to say, wow, you know, we've got a lot of video, a lot of views, is, the fight that we're against, the, the people that the people we're fighting against, have control of over the optics, and they're attempting to not just delegitimize our channel, but the message, your message, and this this is one of the tactics they use. We're going to be right back with IQ El Razuli, just a brave man, a lot of information. Stay right where you're at. We'll be right back. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Uh, folks, I'm going to direct your attention to MasterPreps.com. MasterPreps.com. Wow. Uh, MasterPreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, MasterPreps.com. That's MasterPreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Postman Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to eight major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changecoastwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. 
means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. This is the Hagman and Hagman Report with our guest, IQL Rizuli, Islamic expert, a man that can't really walk down any street in the Middle East uh, without fear of his life, of course. He's an Iraqi-born native Arabic speaker. He goes by the name IQL Rizuli. He's lived in Europe since since his university days studying engineering in England. Um, Claire Lopez wrote a really great background piece on our guest, in um, when was it March of 2013, four years ago now, and Mr. Al Razuli had uh, really came through with a lot of uh, clarifications and, and such, talking about things as well, answering the question, for example, is there such a thing as a moderate Muslim, or is there such a thing as moderate Islam? Uh, how about moderate Muslims? How about uh, um, for example, why should defenders of Western civilization be concerned about core Islamic doctrine, law, and scripture? That, of course, Claire Lopez, and you can find that on Family Security Matters. And we're so proud to have him with us. He's a great friend of the program. Tireless. Tireless as he talks about this topic. And, uh, uh, we owe him a great deal of, uh, we, we just owe him a great deal for, for being as tireless as he is. IQ, gotta ask you. Uh, in the dust, as the dust settles of the London attacks, and, and this is the, this was the video I put up. We can expect more attacks. Can we expect this uh, the same thing to happen here in the United States? I know that's kind of a ridiculous question, but given our yeah, given our uh, propensity to, as Westerners, to give these refugees and Muslims the benefit of the doubt. We're going to give it shoved. We're, we're going to get it. We're going to get it in the back end. In the end, aren't we? It's coming. Most certainly, you are. But I'll tell you also. You have judges who are stopping Trump from implementing the uh, limitations on Muslims coming to the United States of America. You have traitors within. The traitors within are the most dangerous. You see, the enemy outside, like the Muslims. ISIS, Boko Haram, Hezbollah, Hamas, their declarations are in public. And they tell you, in no uncertain terms, that their intention is the destruction of Western civilization and of Christianity, of Buddhism and of Hinduism and converting every human being on planet Earth to, to Islam. Full stop. It's not a hidden agenda. The tragedy is that within Europe, and within the United States, the elite, the many, in fact, most, not even many, most of the people who are in the 
academia, in the media, even in the clergy and politicians, are not only criminally negligent, but they are willfully deceptive and treasonous. Why do I say treasonous? Because they are endangering the American people by making them believe that Islam is peaceful, that Muslims will contribute to human civilization, that Muslims will be uh, assimilating into America and integrating. These are all lies, every single one of them. And And what I find egregious, which I find offensive, is that these lies are committed in public against all facts and reality. I'll give you an example, which I mentioned once before also. Last year, Pope Francis, the leader of 1.2 billion Catholics, publicly declared that he couldn't find any aggressive verses in Muhammad's Quran. Now, it is inconceivable for any decent human being with two brain cells of logic, having read only chapters 2 to chapters 9, only 8 chapters out of 114 chapters of Muhammad's Quran, to come to what Pope Francis said. Impossible. But why did he say it? Not only did he say it, but 95 to 96% of his prelates, the Catholic uh, clergy, follow him without a single one objecting. I'm asking you the question, how is that possible? Another one, Anglican Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Protestant churches, they could have, they have been watching in my country, Iraq, the Christians being decimated, tortured, murdered, plundered, and exiled. They've been watching what's happening to the Christians in Egypt, the Copts, in Syria, in all of the Muslim world. Yet not a single voice comes on television, and not a single television station in the United States of America, or in Europe, objects. I'm asking questions like uh, Mr. Hagman. How is it conceivable that all these Christians who call themselves Christians are not defending the other Christians? But that's right. Uh, these are the facts of... Yeah, but that this is the facts of reality. Why isn't anybody addressing it? Nobody. Nobody mentions it on television. Not a single... There has never been a case by New York Times or the Washington Post speaking about the persecution and literally eradication of Christians in Muslim countries. And yet, we are in the 21st century, and I shall repeat it for as many times as I need to, the most persecuted people on the planet are Christians by Muslims, and only by Muslims. Yeah, you're right. And... um even today, on the one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub terror attacks in Orlando, Florida, where shooter Omar Mateen, uh, screaming about Allah and ISIS, went on a rampage, killing 49 people. Even today, the Washington Post article, the one-year anniversary article, removed any uh, mention that 
uh, of the motive that this was terror related and they just called it gun violence and that's why we don't see this stuff in the media and, and IQ is because these yeah. these reporters refuse you know, they first of all they won't even interview somebody um you know who who believes this way then if they do so often uh we see their feed cut or or them running into uh technical problems so their message does not get across and then we have the media even covering up for these people and the one example of this is after the london attacks cnn got caught staging a, f- a fake protest of of alleged outraged muslims yes of this terror attack but they were uh, the somebody videotaped the what happened behind the scenes of, of cnn's camera and cnn provided the signs they staged these people just how they wanted them to uh so it was not only it was uh, it was all deceptive, but right after they got caught doing that, we saw reports that imams in the UK refusing, saying they're refusing to recite prayers uh, for the Muslim terrorist and and uh, be the imams over their funeral service. Is uh, what we're seeing in Britain is this um, is this false? Are they doing this for show? And did you hear about that IQ that the the imams, uh, hundreds of them, refuse to do the funeral rites? What's your take Mr. on that? Hagman, we were talking a few seconds ago about Sharia, and a few seconds ago about taqiyya, which is deception. I'm sure you remember my assertions that the worst nightmare of Muslims are their four horsemen of the apocalypse, called knowledge, knowledge knowledge and knowledge that is the knowledge of the scripture called Sharia I shall now prove my statement yet again the Muslim Council of Britain of 130 imams has gained worldwide headlines and enormous praise for announcing that they refuse to recite prayers over the Muslim London Bridge terrorists even Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said in New Zealand and I'm repeating I was actually encouraged when I heard on the news this morning that a number of imams in London have condemned these attackers and said that they will not perform prayer services for their funerals which means they are condemning their souls Mr. Tillerson is not an authority on Islam tragically as invariably every clueless western leader who never bothered to read let alone study sharia started actually believing there are at last moderate Muslims unfortunately and as usual the Muslims have again intentionally and in plain sight deceived all those who fell for their Islamic taqiyya because there are two schools of thought in Islam regarding what should or should not be done in the case of the jihadis. The answer can be found at the click of a mouse in the history of Islam. When some of the followers of Muhammad died in the battle of Uhud, Uhud, U-H-U-D, in the year 625 A.D. against the Quraysh. Muhammad did not recite prayers over them because according to Muhammad such martyrs shuhada do not need intercession with Allah because they will go directly to Allah 
and all schools of Islam agree to this. For example, according to the Imams Maliki and the Shafi'i, funeral prayers for martyrs should not be recited, while other groups assert that it is actually not obligatory. I repeat the word. It is not obligatory to recite prayers over jihadis. Who are jihadis? Muslim terrorists who died while murdering infidel kuffar fi sabilillah for the sake of Allah. In summation, dear listeners, the imams only pretended to be moderate and were able to deceive hundreds of millions of people in plain sight especially the decidedly fake media because in reality they do not need to recite prayers again I say anyone in doubt just double check me back to you sir so the reasons the imams are are doing this is not because they are uh, outraged or, or upset because the terror aspect of, of these men they are not doing this to out of real personal outrage or, or um, disagreement. They are doing this because this is the one that the taqiyah, the allowed lying, and two because uh, in the Quran and you just cited it, it is not oblig- obligatory for the imams to perform these the the funeral rites for people who are martyrs. Correct? Absolutely right. But not in the Quran, in the Hadith. I'm not correcting okay. you. I'm, no, I'll tell you why. We don't. We cannot afford to make mistakes. Neither you nor I. I want to be not 99% accurate, not 101% accurate, but 100% accurate. Correct. It's in the hadith, that means in the traditions, which is in Sharia. They lied. Yes. Believe it or not, every one of these imams condones within himself condones the acts of these terrorists. Why? Because according to these imams, these Muslims died in perfect harmony with Sharia. They died fi Allah. They died for the sake of Allah. They died to bring terror to the infidels so that they either submit to Sharia or get exterminated. Yes, every single one of these imams is not what's called moderate. Every single one of these imams support completely what these uh, terrorists had done. Back to you, sir. Okay. All right. Since your last appearance with us, IQ, we've had uh, pages, numerous emails of questions that uh, we promised to ask you the next time you were on. And I'd like to uh, address some of these questions with you because I think they are pertinent to Western and especially those people here in the United States and Canada, our observations and experiences with Muslims. One of the questions, and, and this question involves several people asking the same type of question, the uh, the head coverings for women that are associated with with Islam, is this is this cultural or is this can this be found in the Quran or is this uh, more of a cultural um, uh, requirement I, I'm not even sure requirement is the right word um, what can you tell us about the, 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 the head coverings for women as it applies to Islam 
Okay. And, and by the way, in the context of um, uh, imposing that right on others in this country. The covering is called hijab. And I dare any Muslim, there are 1,500 million of them, and several, several of them are listening to your program, obviously. I dare any Muslim on planet Earth and any one of the apologists for Islam, a sum of $200,000, if they can find a single verse in the Quran using the word hijab denoting the covering of, of a woman in any way, shape or form. $200,000 I give them. It doesn't exist. Women before Islam in the Arabian Peninsula used to run naked, completely, utterly naked, running around the Kaaba before Islam. Women were much more liberated before Islam than when Muhammad came in. The mandate to cover the head is part and parcel of the masochist, not masochist, sorry, the men-oriented uh, belief system of Islam. It's dominated by male. So everything they say in the Quran is to humiliate, denigrate, and make the woman inferior to the man. Covering her hair, for example, is one of them. Not being able to marry, uh, sorry, not being able to uh, marry who she wants. That's in Islam. Before Islam, this didn't exist. Uh, a woman cannot drive, let's say, in Saudi Arabia unless she's accompanied by a male. Uh, a woman in, Saudi, in Muslim countries cannot leave her house without the authority of her husband. She cannot associate with anybody without the authority of her husband. She cannot divorce her husband even if he beats the crap out of her. But he can, he can uh, divorce her by saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times. So everything in Islam is against the woman. Uh, Linda Sarsour, now she's become very famous in America. She's an American yeah. citizen. Oh, yeah. yeah. A piece of garbage, 100% piece of garbage. Uh, she pretends she's a feminist. There is no feminism in Islam. Women in Islam are treated one little step higher than domestic animals. They have no rights. Okay? So, to confirm what I just said, it's not even a tradition. Muhammad imposed it. In fact, this is a most remarkable thing, and also the listeners can check me. In Bukhari hadith, Aisha said in one of the hadiths that Umar ibn al-Khattab, who became the uh, second Khalifa wanted to impose the hijab but Muhammad did not force it upon his wives it's in the hadith by the way Mr. Hagman he did not enforce it upon his wives and if Muhammad did not enforce it upon his wives the so called followers of the perfect man should not impose it upon the women of Islam but they do it is terrorism against women. It is the subjugation of women. A genital mutilation is part and parcel of that one. Everything to do against women is in Islam. Well, I and Linda Sarsour, Sarsour glorifies and says it's beautiful. 
Sorry I interrupted you. No, sorry I interrupted you. This is what I don't understand. You know, with this Linda Sassor and much of the media and the, the progressive left in this country aligning themselves with Islam, how can they, how do they get away with calling genital, female genital mutilations a civil right? How do they get being told, you know, being forced to wear a hijab is some, some kind of, of feminist movement? How do they, and I guess the, how do the people involved in these, these movements, you know, the feminism movement, um, whatever it is, the, uh, how, how, how are they aligning with is, the, the homosexual movement we see, you know, standing up and, and aligning with Islam? And I understand it to the extent that they're, they feel these are other oppressed groups, and I say oppressed because this is how they feel about the, the LGBT community and the Muslim community. They feel that these groups are oppressed, so they'll stick up for them. Yeah, but, but Joe, it makes no no it sense at all. Sense. Man. When you have when you have you know Islam, uh, you know killing gays, forcing you know the women to wear the hijab, and, and you know completely uh, turning women into property, basically slave property. How can these these feminist movements and, and these other oppressed movements stand up for Islam? It can't be that they don't understand. Is there something else there that we're not seeing? Yes, there is. They're stupid. I know, it doesn't, it's not simplistic. They're stupid. It's impossible. It is literally, yeah. rationally impossible for any feminist to support Islam. Because it's a contradiction. It's like uh, a judge in America allowing Sharia. From my point of view, I would execute the judge without even a trial. I know it's not acceptable in terms of legality. Sorry. But I'm telling you, I come to the conclusion that this person has no right to live. Why? Because Sharia is the nemesis of the American Constitution. So if he allows it, then he should be executed. I don't need a trial. I don't need a trial to prove that he is wrong. He should know it is wrong. Sharia is the opposite of every decency in human uh, law. Simple. It's not complicated. Okay, you want to put him on trial and remove him? Be nice. Put him on trial. But remove him. Those feminists are only in words feminists. They demonstrated wearing pink. There are 750 million women in Islam who are treated like, treated like literally uh, domestic animals. And yet these so-called feminists never once raised their voice in defense. Never. So, when you tell me, is it rational? It's not rational. Some of the gay people were against Trump because he is banning Islam from Muslim terrorists. And yet, they should know. They watch it on television. They throw uh, gay people live, alive, from the top of a building. So tell me, where is the, where is the logic? There is none. There is no logic. There is no morality. There is no decency in any of those leftists. None. And Americans really have to wake up. You have to wake up. We, the people who elected uh, Trump, you really have to be very, very careful and alive. Because the leftist so-called liberals have aligned themselves with the worst enemies of, of the world the worst enemies of humanity, called Muslims. Am I inciting? The answer is no. Every single verse in the Quran incites the followers of Muhammad 
to hate, to go to war, to discriminate, to be intolerant of every human being on the planet who is not a Muslim. Now, hmm. who is telling the truth, me or the Muslims? 100% me. All I say is challenge me. Somebody from CARE, C-A-I-R, Council of American Islamic Relations, uh, Ibrahim Hooper, the representative, give me 10 minutes with him, prime time television. 10 minutes, that's all I need. Or Isnad, Islamic uh, Society of North America. Somebody, Imam, anybody, for God's sake, I've been asking, I've been begging for them to debate me in public. And I don't mind, by the way, if it's publicly debated on television. I'll come, I'll show myself. I don't mind. Because by the time I finish with them, I would have finished my job. The complete destruction of Muhammadan Islam as a belief system called religion. Complete. Back to you. You know, IQ, that is a rather chilling statement. You would have finished your job. And I, and I know what you mean by that. And folks, I, I would ask that, that you understand the weight of that statement. Um, wow. You, you talk about guts. You talk about courage and tenacity and a mission that needs to be fulfilled. We, we you know, we, we need, uh, Folks, we need everyone listening to this program to, uh, to write to, uh, Fox News or to whatever your preference is. To Hannity, is. if so you can do it to Hannity. Hannity All sure. I need is 10 minutes with Hannity. We really need I'm, this because, I'm not yeah. 10 minutes with Hannity, tweet him, Facebook, tell him. All I, all he has got to do is Google my name. That's all. Yes. That's yes. it. Yeah, it's absolutely necessary, especially now when we're seeing a little bit, I believe this to be true, and as we come up here, we're about a minute away from our break, IQ or the top of the hour network break, but as we see a little bit of momentum behind us with groups like ACT for America waging some protests or waging some informational, shall we say informational meetings, uh, throughout the country, I think we we do have some some uh, lift behind us here to get the word out. So, folks, if you're listening to this broadcast, and I know you are, and I know how many countries we're in, we're we're in a lot of countries, we're a lot of listeners. So I would ask that you uh, send Sean Hannity a message via Twitter, send him an email. IQ El Razuli. Just listen to this program. Listen to a snippet of the program. In fact, we're going to take some snippets and publish them tomorrow of IQ tonight. But let's get them on Hannity. Let's get them on some some of these mainstream media outlets. And let's get the word out there. We're going to be right back with IQ El Razuli right after this network break. Stay right where you're at.
just what kind of thriller predicts the future. In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. You know, it's it's something to have a man like IQL Rizzoli come on our program, and uh, from his location in Europe, where it's very early or very late, depending on your perspective, um, taking his time up to, to give you his knowledge, his expertise, his information about uh, the threat we face here in America. When Americans, most Americans, some Americans, perhaps most is an overstatement, can't even get off the couch. Uh, to talk uh, about the threat that we face. We have a lot more to get into with Mr. IQ El Rizzuli, who is, again, 
Iraqi-born Islamic uh, expert, scholar, author of the trilogy Lifting the Veil. If you want to support Mr. IQL Razuli, definitely grab a hold of his uh, trilogy. Visit his website. Just search his name or go to the program description here in our uh, program and uh, visit his website. It is full of knowledge. And do us a favor, folks, please. Make his name known to Sean Hannity, to Fox News, to, to any um, anyone in the mainstream media to elevate his visibility and to get the word out. We need to take this fight up to a new new level, which is consistent, by the way, with our new mandate. We are doing not just talking about it. Before we get back to Mr. Rizzoli, ready-made resources, folks. Many ready-made-resources.com. Visit ready-made resources. Let me tell you something. If if you want to if you want a one-stop shop for your preparation needs, ready-made resources is the place to go. Two decades in business, they've got the best night vision equipment. They've got the best communications equipment. Uh, they've got uh, a long, long, long term storable food if i just slow down i can talk yes i can um they've got night vision devices that are the best of the best premium water filtration systems they've got energy production as well as uh well anything that you need it's again your one-stop shop for everything preparatory in nature they're homesteaders 18 years almost 20 years in business uh, their layout of their website is just tremendous. It's easy checkout, easy shopping. It's a pleasure to shop there. Ready-made resources. That's ready-made-resources.com. Be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Hagman and Hagman Report. And again, I want to thank uh, IQL Rizzoli for his gift of time. And two other things very quickly. I appeared on uh, the Intelligence Hour with Kevin Ship tonight. If you have a chance, listen to that broadcast. We were talking about IQ Al Rizzoli about his uh, about his teachings and about what's taking place in America about Sharia, the push for Sharia, and also if you have a chance, check out the latest American thinker, Peter uh, Chauka, who was on as our guest last week, wrote a a fourth piece to his uh, Fox News uh, series, yeah, and that's on and folks, that's on Hagman Report. Yes, it is. The Murdoch Boys and the Future of Fox News is the article. Again, the Murdoch Boys and the Future of Fox News. That's available on HagmanReport.com. And he will be with us again this week. Uh, do me a favor. Would you would you comment on that, an American thinker, too? Comment on that article. Make that article go viral. Because, again, it's all about the numbers when it comes to to. Uh, subjects like we're talking about and other sensitive subjects. It's all about the numbers. The message will get out there as long as the numbers uh, propel it, especially in the search function. Go ahead, Joe. IQ, I want to start off this segment, um, and I, we might have talked about this last time you came on, but I want to I want to get into this again if we can. When we over in, in some countries in Europe, especially in the UK, where we've seen. Uh, I think three terror attacks in in as many months there, uh, the the last two being the Manchester Ariana Grande concert and then the the London Bridge attacks. What do you suggest people in the UK and in these countries in Europe do when there are free speech laws on the books making outlawing uh, criticism of 
of Islam. And we've seen some people arrested. Uh, Tommy Robinson, a journalist for the Rebel Media, did a documentary where he was pointing out extremism in many of the migrants. And he was actually jailed for it. People are commenting on Facebook and Twitter, and you have them going to prison. So much so that the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, actually formed task force to continue to go after anti-Islamic social media posts and at the same time saying he can't keep track of, of all the uh, jihadis that are in London. What do you suggest people do in countries where they are not allowed to criticize Islam or even be uh, <laughs> that, uh, even even talk bad about it without fear of being incarcerated? This is the tragedy. I repeat again, I said that a few minutes ago in the first section. Our worst enemy is not ISIS. Our worst not enemy, enemy are not the Muslims. Our worst enemy are the elites amongst us. The elites who control the media, academia, politics, and religion. They are the worst enemy. Why would they... By the way, when you speak, when they condemn them for speaking against Islam, I'm not speaking against Islam. You're not speaking about against Islam. We are speaking about Islam. That's not against Islam. If I reveal the facts of Hitler, Mein Kampf, am I talking against Germans? Am I talking against Christians? The answer is no. I'm revealing the facts about Hitler's Mein Kampf. We are revealing the facts about Muhammad's Quran. How is this against Islam? I want to know. If I was lying, yes. If I was, if I was perverting the truth, yes. If I was saying things against Muslims which are not true, yes, it is against Islam. But it is not against Islam if you are revealing the truth and the facts, which we are. Yet our leaders are the criminals. Our leaders are the criminals. In America, it's the same. You have the same. Every time President Trump says anything, whether positive or negative, they find something negative. Why? Why are they undermining President Trump? Why are they undermining the defense of the United States of America? Uh, you ask the same question. It is irrational. It is irrational for Angela Merkel to allow 1.5 million Muslims, mostly 85% of them are male of military age, to invade Europe. It is irrational. And yet she has done it. But guess, guess what happened? What used to be Eastern European countries, like Hungary and Poland, have now closed the borders and told Merkel to jump in the lake in the Rhine they will not allow a single refugee from Islam to come into Hungary or Poland and other states now are doing the same, they're closing the border the peoples of these states woke up much faster than the western the people in western Europe and they woke up much faster than the people in America when you have uh, the media and you have academia and you have judges calling uh, 
Donald Trump uh, a racist? Well, why? Why is he a racist? Islam is not a race. Islam is a cult belief system. It's not a race. So how is he a racist? And the seven countries that he nominated to be vetted, all of them are terrorist dysfunctional countries. So what's wrong with that one? Again and again and again we come to the right, the same question. How is it possible for so-called rational people to behave irrationally? It's human nature. We always repeat the same mistake. Because not, we don't learn from history. And they tell you it's a, it's a fact of history, a historical fact. If you don't learn from history, you repeat the same mistake. What happened in Germany? Hitler wrote Mein Kampf in 1923. In 1933, he became chancellor. Between 1923 to 1933, the Europeans, and especially the Jews of Europe, said, no, it can't happen. He's a rogue. He's a thug. He will not be able to do that. We're living in a civilized society. Bullcrap. Between 1933 and 1939, Hitler was able to turn a civilized people called Germans into the most monstrous people on earth. And I'm not talking about because he killed Jews. Only six million Jews. Twenty-five million people perished in the extermination camps. Most of them were Christians. So not only Jews. We are repeating the same mistake. We see what the Muslims are doing. Look what they're... In, 19, in 2003, in Iraq, my country, we had 1.3 million Christians one of the oldest Christian communities on planet Earth. Today I'm speaking to you, there are less than 200,000. In Syria, they're completely gone practically, out 8 million. There were about, what, 10%? Yes. About 2, 2 million people, 2 million Christians. The Copts in Egypt are 8 to 9, 10 million people. And they are being persecuted on a daily basis. But we're talking and genocide, are we not? I mean, I mean, it's, it is genocide against Christians. Right. And the Christians in Europe and America are silent. That's collusion. Silence is collusion. They are aiding and abetting the enemies of Christianity. They are aiding and abetting the enemies of humanity. Muslims, please remember this at all times. Every single Muslim is by definition the enemy of every single human being on the planet who is not a Muslim. It's that simple. It's not complicated. Nothing about Islam is complicated. It's always simple. Back to you, sir. Wow. You, you know, I have a, a, I have this desire to ask you, IQ, if you ever please get go fired. ahead, ask me. I love you, it when you ask me. Well, it, it, this is kind of a, I don't know this. IQ, do you ever get tired, and, and I mean mentally tired, physically tired of trying to to get this message out there, feeling like, you know, it's just not sinking into people. When you see people marching together and you, you see the Western countries turning their head against genocide, uh, you know, I just, I, I it, to me, uh, it, it takes a lot of uh, wherewithal on your part to really... Uh, 
to really keep going without discouragement. And and I have to commend you for for that. I really do. Mm. I appreciate your statement, but I'll tell you something. It's nothing to do with bravery. I honestly, truly believe I'm on a mission. That's so important. I am on a mission. And I need to fulfill it. That's why I said to you, after an interview with Hannity, if I die, it's irrelevant. It's immaterial after that. Not even to me, it's irrelevant. I would have fulfilled my mission in life. I have been chosen for this mission. At least in my mind, I have been chosen for this mission. Sure. Whether I can, if I don't accomplish it, then I was wrong. But if I accomplish it, I'm 100% sure I was chosen. Because nobody on earth, nobody ever in 1400 years, for example, came to a conclusion like the following uh, subject I wanted to discuss with you. The Quran is Zionist. I need a PhD for this. Only for one subject alone, I deserve a PhD. <laughs> no, I mean it. I'll tell uh, you why. I, I agree. Nobody in 1400 years and I'm not about the Muslims. Muslims, I just dis- dismiss them because they can't use logic and uh, because they cannot, uh, what do you call it, contradict the Quran. They cannot investigate the Quran. They're forbidden. But I'm talking about the highest Western minds who studied Islam and who know more about Islam than the Muslims. Never came to this conclusion. But why did I come to the conclusion? I had a vision. I honestly did. I was reading the Quran, I've been reading the Quran so many, many times, and I knew there were some stories about the, from the Bible, about the Exodus, about this and about that, but it's scattered all over the bloody place. There is no, no sequence in the Quran, there is no rhyme and rhythm. So I decided to spend time and arrange, pick up all the verses, and then arrange them in an order. And what do I come with? In the end, I came to the conclusion. It's not even a conclusion, it's a fact. The Quran is 100% Zionist. What do I mean by Zionist? The Quran asserts in Arabic by Allah that the land, the promised land, belongs to the Israelites and their descendants. Can I prove it? Do you mind? I can start doing it oh, if you want. Oh, this is fascinating. Absolutely. And I guarantee you a lot of people are going to be uh, having their ears to the uh, computer speakers and their radios. Please do. I, I, I sincerely hope so, because it's a bit of a long one, but I'll tell you, I have sh- reduced it to as little as possible without compromising the validity. Let me tell you, the title is called Zionist Quran. Dear Americans, continuing our process at the Hagman and Hagman talk shows, of systematically but most assuredly discrediting Muhammad as a prophet and the alleged divine origin of his Quran. The title of this subject must be the most bizarre I have ever put up. To Arabs and Muslims, this is tantamount to unholy blasphemy. But the question is, is it blasphemy? Has the humanity been deceived for the last 100 years? into accepting Arab and Muslim propaganda regarding the Holy Land as fact. Let us together explore this issue based entirely upon Muhammad's Quran and no other. Anyone who has read the Quran 
let alone studied it, would already know the following. The chapters of Muhammad's Quran are not written in the order of their alleged revelations to Muhammad. For example, the first verse of revelation to Quran says, Proclaim in the name of thy Lord, the cherisher, who created man from a cloth. This should have been the first verse of the first chapter of Muhammad's Quran. But it is in fact found as the first verse of the 96th chapter of the Quran. It is also not true that the surahs or chapters are in the descending order of the number of verses starting with the highest one in chapter 2. That's a lie. Count the verses chapter after chapter, you will find a bit of descent and then goes up and then goes down, then goes up and goes down. The verses and storylines are incredibly and boringly repetitive. The names of the biblical characters appear all of a sudden without any indication as to which country they live, in which era, and in what context. Without references to the Bible, no reader of the Quran, no reader of the otherwise incoherent Quran, could possibly know the full story of any and all of the biblical characters mentioned therein. Moreover, their stories in the Quran are based upon apocryphal traditions and not upon the originals in the Torah. Now the Torah is going to be repeated, the word Torah, several times because it is Taurat in the Arabic language, are the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The Quran as a whole is incoherent, rambling, inconsistent, contradictory, and utterly unholy which has no beginning, no middle, and no ending, totally unlike the Bible. So to compile the story of what I'm about to reveal to you, I have had to ferret out all the relevant verses scattered over many chapters of the Quran and put them in a coherent order as faithful to the original story in the Bible as possible. This is why, and I repeat again, over the last 1400 years, no follower of Muhammad could possibly understand, let alone know, the whole story in a consistent manner. And as far as I know, no historian has come to my conclusions either. Before revealing the Quran's Zionism, it is very important, of course, to explain what Zionism means and is, not according to Arab and Muslim propaganda, but two facts. Ladies and gentlemen, please be aware that the immense majority of the followers of Muhammad recognize the word Zionist and Zionism, but have absolutely no understanding of either the meaning or the concept of these words. Zion is a term that most often designates the land of Israel and its capital Jerusalem. The word is found in Hebrew texts dating back almost three millennia. Originally, it was the name of a Canaanite fortress on top of Mount Sion. Sion is T-S-I-O-N, which is near Jerusalem, which was captured by King David. King David made it a royal residence to start with. 
and his son Solomon built the first temple on top of it. Henceforth, the whole hill was called Sion, T-S-I-O-N. Thereafter, the name of the hill and the city of Jerusalem become synonymous. In many biblical verses, the Israelites were called the people, sons or daughters of Zion. The word Zionism is derived from and associated with Zion. Zionism is a movement. It is actually the national revival movement for the return of the Jewish diaspora to their homeland, their land of nativity, of Judea and Samaria, and the resumption of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel, the promised land, their birthplace. Zionism was self-consciously the Jewish analog of the European national liberation movements of the 19th century. I shall now prove the concept of Zionism in the Quran, which is the Quran's version of the Exodus story, starting with Allah's instruction to Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh, asking him to release the tribes of Israel from bondage. I shall recite only the relevant, the relevant verses from the chapters in such a way as to make the story line similar to the original in the Bible. Please listen attentively as to how, without my collation in coherent sequence, the relevant verses of the Quran actually jump from one chapter to a mere completely different one, since they are scattered all over the pages of the Quran, and hence, by themselves, do not make a lucid or coherent tale. Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 47, says, O children of Israel, call to mind the special favor that I, Allah, bestowed upon you, and that I preferred you above the whole world. وَأَنِّ فَضَّلْتَكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ 2, chapter 2, verse 1, 2, 2. So I'm giving you chapter and verse, and anybody wants to double-check me, you can go ahead with the Quran. Chapter 2, verse 122. All children of Israel, so repeat, call to mind the special favor I bestowed upon you, and that I preferred you above the whole world. Allah asserts in these two verses that the Israelites are His chosen people. وَأَنِّ فَضَّلْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 21. In this case, Moses is telling the Israelites, O oh, my people, enter the holy land, Al-Ard Al-Muqaddasata, which Allah has assigned unto you. Kataba Allahu Lakum. In this verse, it is Allah and no one else who is putting these words in the mouth of Moses. Therefore, Muslims and Arabs all over the world have been defying and disobeying their God, Allah's commands and statements with impunity and without reverence. Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 44. It was we, Allah, who revealed the law, Torah to Moses. Therein was guidance and light. By its standard have been judged the Jews by the prophet who bowed to Allah's will, by the rabbis and the doctors of law. Allah asserts that it was he who revealed the Pentateuch to Moses and trusted the Jewish rabbis to protect it. 
Al-A'raf, chapter 7, verse 104. Moses said to Pharaoh, O Pharaoh, I am an apostle from the Lord of the world. So we, and then there are several verses, but I jumped them because they're not relevant. We come to 7, 133. 133. So we sent plagues on them, that is the Egyptians. Wholesale death, locusts, lice, frogs and blood. Signs openly self-explained. But they were steeped in arrogance, a people given to sin. Verse 136. So we exacted retribution from them, that is the Egyptians. We drowned them in the sea because they rejected our signs and failed to take warning from them. Any listener having studied the biblical original would know that what was allegedly revealed to Muhammad when the angel Gabriel is completely different both in sequence and context from the Bible. But nonetheless, the storyline is similar. Al-A'raf, chapter 7, verse 137. And we made a people considered weak, of no account, inheritors of lands in both east and west lands, whereon we sent down our blessings. The fair promise of the Lord was fulfilled to the children of Israel. The words inheritors of lands in both east and west lands is actually the promised land of the Israelites on both sides of the Jordan River. The Quran is saying it, not me. Verse Chapter 7, verse 138. We took the children of Israel with safety across the sea. 140. He said, Shall I seek for you a God other than the true Allah? When it is Allah who has endowed you with gifts above the nations. Wahuwa fadalakum ala alamina. Chapter 10, Yunus, verse 93. We settled the children of Israel in a beautiful dwelling place and provided for them sustenance of the best. This singular verse destroys and negates all the lies and deceptions by the later followers of Muhammad regarding the authenticity and divine origin of the Torah. Since had it been altered or tampered with by the Jews, as alleged by the followers of Muhammad, Allah would not have used it as a witness to the veracity of the Quran. Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 104. And we say thereafter to the children of Israel, dwell securely in the land of promise. But when the second of the warnings came to pass, we gathered you together in a mingled crowd. Allah in very clear Arabic asserts that he fulfilled his promise to the to reward the people of Israel with the promised land. The same land that later conquering hordes of Muhammad and Arabs claim as exclusively theirs contrary to their own Quran. You know, it is remarkable how many verses they continue. Chapter 20, verse 80. Oh, ye children of Israel, we delivered you from your enemy and we made a covenant with you on the side of Mount Sinai. And we so sent you down, we sent down to you manna and quails. And it goes on and on and on. Believers and unbelievers, please be aware that the Quran, in verse after verse and chapter after chapter, repeatedly and unambiguously asserts 
that it was Allah and only Allah who did the choosing. Contrary to Muslim anti-Jewish hate-mongering declarations, that the racist Jews claim that they are the chosen people. Ladies and gentlemen, it is obvious that Muhammad did not realize that his loose-leaf notes had fully captured and preserved, though somewhat scrambled up from the more ancient accounts, actually verifying with detailed accounts that the Israelites and the Jews had lived many centuries before Muhammad, settled and made their homeland as a nation in the very state of modern Israel and territories that have since been restored. These are the very lands that the Muslims and Arabs absurdly deny had ever previously belonged to anyone else but themselves. In conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, based upon all the above, it is crystal clear that contrary to the untested beliefs of hundreds of millions of Muslims in the world today, their Quran, in fact, fully supports and verifies the claims of the Jews for the land of Israel as their ancient and rightful home and the nation. Thus, in a nutshell, the Quran is Zionist. Any challenges? Back to you, sir. That's IQ al-Razuli about uh, providing information about the Quran um, asserts that the Holy Land belongs to the Jews. That will be a standalone segment, folks. We uh, want to thank Global Star Radio Network for allowing us to skip the network break for continuity of thought. And I believe that that's perhaps one of the most important lessons um, we could have been given in this broadcast. My question, IQ, given all that you said, how is it that any, well, how is it even possible that there is any discussion given the totality of evidence that you just gave there's any discussion about uh, Israel not belonging to the Jews how is that even possible how are we even having talks about settlements and such today is it ignorance of the Quran or is it absolutely okay it's both of them it's ignorance of the Quran there's no question about this as I said in 1400 years nobody mentioned it no historian, no European historian ever mentioned it. Nobody collated it the way I have done that. And I, I cut a lot because otherwise it would be another hour. Only reciting verses, which would be boring. It would be too overwhelming. Sure. But the, the whole gist is there. That although scattered, in fact, because it is scattered all over the pages of the Quran, that people didn't put it together. So the inspiration that I had is that I put it together and he says, first I wrote every single verse which is relevant and then I put them in the sequence of revelation chapter right. by chapter. Right. That's, that's, that's the way I've done it. So because I'm somewhat ingenious, it's sometimes, <laughs> no, no, honestly, sometimes people, great thinkers, look at exactly the same item and couldn't come solve, to solve the problem. Sure. And another thinker looks at it and solves it. The theory of relativity. All the components of the theory of relativity were available to every scientist on earth at the time. 
but it only Einstein who could imagine it in his mind and figure it out and how to come to a conclusion that the speed of light is the ultimate speed hmm. and that E equals uh, sorry the MC equals E M C E equals M C squared something by the way it's not MC squared it's MC squared over the root of 1 minus V squared over C squared this is always they're taking it out but this is the most important part but there you go I mean all the components were available but only he was able to visualize it and put it in uh, mathematical terms Uh, as an an aside I wonder how many people know that second part of that uh, equation of Einstein but nonetheless uh, there you have it. So, so by by extension, you would also uh, be discrediting Muslim and Arab claims to Jerusalem, based yet again entirely uh, on Muhammad uh, Muhammad's Quran and the Hadith. Um, so, this would extend to the entirety of the, of the Jewish Holy Land, the Jews' own title deed to that land. Period. By the way, with all your respect to people who are listening, the Holy Land is not only for the Jews. It was also for Christianity. Right. And yet the Muslims denied for both Jews and Christianity. So really what we have here, Israel is not only defending herself for her own belief, but is the defending Christianity at the same time because why was why was there crusades? Why did the crusades occur? The crusades did not occur because the Christians were bloodthirsty. The the crusades occurred after 300 years of plunder by Muslims. 300 years. So, the Christians had enough. Every time they wanted to uh, go to Jerusalem to visit, they were raped, they were murdered, they were plundered, they were taken uh, alive and they stole you know, in ransom. Hmm. They had enough. So the crusades were an answer to jihad. How many news media will tell you this? They don't tell you that. They make it as if it was an aggression by the Christians. Hmm. Never in the history of Islam of 1400 years have the Muslims been the victims. Never. I repeat the word never. Always the Muslims are the victimizers. Always the Muslims are the aggressors. Look what's happening in the Philippines. They're killing Christians in the Philippines. And they blame the Christians. They kill Christ, uh, Buddhists in Thailand. They blame the Buddhists. They kill Hindus. They blame the Hindus. They kill Chinese. They Again, they blame the Buddhists. Mm-hmm. Always they blame somebody else. But never themselves. Ever. You know, in 1400 years, between 600, no, 730, 732, up to 1400, uh, up to about 1962, 140 million black Africans were slaughtered and died by Muslims, by Arabs, so that 14 million would be sold to the Americans. 140 million. In the meantime, 110 million Hindus were slaughtered. By the way, the word Hindu Kush, who are listening, anybody, 
Google Hindu Kush. It's a chain of mountains. Hindu Kush means the slaughter of the Hindus. Double check me again. See if I'm telling you a lie. Millions of Ch uh, Christians were slaughtered by Muslims. Well, uh, when America, in 1776, when America became a republic, and the British Navy started stopped defending uh, American ships, hundreds of thousands of um, Europeans, Christians, were taken by the Barbary uh, pirates, who are, of course, Muslims, uh, into slavery and sold or murdered, or to uh, use the sex slaves. So we're not talking about a few thousand people or a few million people. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people. Mm. How many people will tell you this? How many news media will tell you this? None. Mm. None. Zero. All right. IQ, if we can, uh, the Philippines. You, you just mentioned the Philippines, and last week we saw uh, some things happen there that, uh, again, as you just pointed out, were not talked about by the, by the media. ISIS actually, didn't they invade a city? They tried to take over a city in the Philippines? Okay. There is no such thing as ISIS, as if okay. it's a tentacle all over the place. Every Muslim is an ISIS member. I repeat, very slow. Every single Muslim, male or female, the instant he or she decides that they are not Sharia compliant enough, he or she will become an instant mass murderer. So, what happened in the Philippines has been going on for over a hundred years. The Muslims of the Philippines have been killing Christians for a long, long time, many centuries. So all you needed to is Muslims behaving like Muslims, which is too much murder. So you want to call it ISIS, it's really a misnomer. Every Muslim is ISIS. Who is ISIS? ISIS follows the Quran. I said it before, I repeat it again. While Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda followed the Quran word by word, ISIS and its associates, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, Al-Hamas, follow the Quran letter by letter, comma by comma, and dot by dot. Uh, by the way, a few days ago, ISIS burned alive 19 girls. They put them in a cage and burned them alive because they wouldn't sleep with the jihadis. Did you know that? No. No. Google it. As I said, just Google it. The news media will not tell you. The news media collude with the Muslims. The news media are the enemies of the American people. I'm not talking all of them, but definitely 90% of the top-level news media collude with the enemy. Google it. 19 girls were put in a cage wearing the orange clothing and they were burnt alive. And yeah, it's it's there. It, it, it Russian or RT's reporting it. Yeah, but, but RT would report it, but our news media doesn't report. Yeah, it. because it will it will create Islamophobia. Islamophobia. Not a single Muslim had died 
at the hands of a European or an American since 2001. Not one. Wow. So where is the Islamophobia? Well, I cue back to um, what wow. you said about ISIS. I actually, I wrote a page of notes on this a few weeks ago uh, asking the question, is ISIS, is calling terrorist ISIS removing in, in a way, removing Islam from responsibility, and you're you're exactly right when you say, you know, every Islamist is an ISIS, and I, you know, ISIS or whatever that you know, ISIL. It, it starts by saying the Islamic State. Should we end just saying ISIS and just say Islam or? Uh, it is Islam, right? It's, ISIS is the most is the most perfect Islamic entity since Muhammad. As I said, find somebody to debate me to prove me wrong. The chance of finding such a creature is zero. Out of 8,000 million people, zero. Out of 2,000 million educated people, zero. Not because I say so. Because it is so. ISIS is the perfect Islam. They speak about uh, the news media Sometimes they talk at some so-called moderate Muslims, they speak about um, reforming Islam. They think of the same reformation that you had in Christianity. By the way, ISIS is reforming Islam. How is ISIS reforming Islam? ISIS is bringing Islam to the exact point of Muhammad, the date of Muhammad. That's reformation. Reformation doesn't mean moderation. No, 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 no. Not in Islam. Reformation in Islam is to follow Muhammad's Sunnah 100%. ISIS is a throwback to the time warp of Muhammad 7th century Arabia. That's what ISIS is. And every Muslim, because they're called Muslims, they have to be Sharia compliant. Believe in ISIS and follow ISIS. It's always, I can say that again and again. Not every Muslim is a terrorist, but every single terrorist against infidels is a Muslim. How do you separate one from the other? Good question. You cannot. You can't, it's impossible. I'll bring you 10,000 Muslims. Who is a terrorist and who is not? How will you find out? You can't. It's impossible. Because any of them can turn to be a terrorist instantly. And it doesn't matter if, if the person has got a PhD or a doctor. Most of the terrorists are not uh, simpletons. They're not from poor background. They're not disfranchised. 19 of the terrorists who attacked the Twin, the Twin Towers and other targets were educated students from rich families. Rich families. Not uh, poor and starving. I asked the same question again and again and nobody gave me an answer. Millions of Africans starve. Millions of Indians starve. Millions in Latin America starve. Not one of them goes and murders other people. Not one. 
only Muslims. Am I right or am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. Accounts. But nobody asked the question. No, you're right. <laughs> wow. You know, IQ uh, accounts from London keep coming in. The uh, Muslim attacker, one of them screamed, this is for Allah, stop living this life as he slit a woman's throat. Uh, Robert Spencer writes about this. and uh, It's just a horrific account of a woman, 31-year-old uh, Candace Hedge, having her throat slashed during this rampage. And uh, well, we're going to be seeing more and more of this, and of course this is coming to... It's already here in this country, basically. But we've got to wake up. You're absolutely right. We've got about... Uh, my brother, we've only have about 10 minutes left of the program. And you know, every time you're on, I just, I, I feel a heaviness in my heart because I, I know how much you put into your, your presentations with us. And I know what a sacrifice this is. So go ahead and uh, take us in the final moments, in the final 10, 10 minutes of the program. Uh, sir, take us wherever you want to take us. The, the time, I would like to the take closures. Your- I would like to take you to the night journey. It's called Laylat al-Isra. The night journey is where the Muslims claim Jerusalem belongs to them, which is, of course, a lie. The claim by the followers of Muhammad for Jerusalem as their third holiest place is founded, as usual, on the deliberate misrepresentation of a single verse in Muhammad's Quran. I'll read the verse for you. Al-Isra. Chapter 17, verse 1. Glory to Allah who did take his servant for a journey by night from the sacred mosque Al-Masjid Al-Haram to the furthest mosque Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa whose precincts we did bless in order that we might show him, Muhammad, some of our signs. For he, Allah, is the one who heareth and seeth all things. The, star, the story of the night journey is copied like most of the important stories in the Quran from the traditions of the Jews traditions doesn't mean the Bible they are apocryphal regarding the ascent of Moses to the seven heavens and visiting paradise and hell in, co- in a subject called Midrash Gedulat Moshe I give you everything, all the information by the way there is in fact an Arabic translation of this Midrash in the Berlin Library again, google it Muhammad in his Quran changed several items to Saudi Arabian mind. Isra is the name of Surah 17, which is also called Bani Israel. Bani Israel means the children of Israel. So the title of the chapter is called Bani Israel, which is the children of Israel. Even the obvious should be pointed out to the listener that the name of Jerusalem is not once mentioned, not even once mentioned anywhere in the thousands of verses in Muhammad's Quran and the Hadith. Jerusalem, on the other hand, is mentioned 667 times in the Bible. This alleged event is described in Bukhari Hadith, chapter 1, verse 345. Gabriel took Muhammad by hand to the first heaven, but there is no mention of Jerusalem. Bukhari Hadith 5227 and 4.429. Again, Gabriel, Gabriel and Burak go to the first heaven. Again, there is no mention of Jerusalem. 
Bukhari Hadith 9.608 Gabriel took Muhammad by hand to the first heaven no mention of Jerusalem the explanation of this verse is found first and foremost in the only biography of Muhammad written by a man called Muhammad Ibn Ishaq in his book Sirat Rasulullah 140 years after Muhammad was dead he informs us with great honesty on the authority of Muhammad's premier wife Aisha by the way that's the child wife of nine years old that his body never left her side and that he, that he was only transported spiritually this is corroborated by Al-Qarawiyun library manuscript it's in Fez in Morocco where it repeats that Aisha the prophet's wife and most intimate companion of his later years declared emphatically that he was transported in his spirit while his body did not leave its place also the great Al-Hassan al-Basri who belonged to the next generation of Muslim exegetes held uncompromisingly to the same view but later on the followers of Muhammad changed it into a physical transport that he physically was transported from Mecca to the furthest mosque but the furthest mosque is not mentioned as Jerusalem only in a story in the book 140 years after Muhammad now whose version should one trust that of the wife who slept with him or with his comp- of, or his companions who were not present neither the Quran which did not allow for a single miracle to be performed nor Muhammad ever declared that it was a miracle nowhere in the Quran it's called a miracle but the most damaging evidence against the concocted story is this following fact ladies and gentlemen incontrovertible fact that there was no masjid there was no mosque there was no temple of Solomon in Jerusalem at the time of Muhammad in the year 622 AD since this temple had already been destroyed by the Romans at least 580 years earlier as the verse could not possibly and realistically have meant Jerusalem it was the companions of Muhammad who after his death expressed the erroneous falsified and unsubstantiated opinion and later the dogma by creating a mythology assuming a real physical transport to Jerusalem in spite of the fact that not one of the hadiths above mentions any intermediate landing at Jerusalem but a direct flight from Mecca to the first heaven only back to you sir well IQ we are we are at the end of the program I want to thank you so much for joining us and, and every time you come on uh, there's a few points that continue to get uh, reinterpreted and, and as well they should again uh, can you just so everybody's clear can you go over the monetary challenge or challenges that you have out there so if there is anybody out there who wants to uh, try to make some money by pe- two hundred thousand dollars IQ wrong one and a half million dollars I have or one, one and a half million. million okay all right one and a half million I've had them for 12 years I've had 35 million people either 
read my book, but not really my book, read my articles and come to my website. But uh, no, but no takers. It can't be done. As I said, not because I say so. How is it possible to be challenged when you're telling, you, I'm quoting in chapter and verse from the Quran, how can I be challenged? Can't be done. But you know, it's always a pleasure being with you. Because you allow me to talk. You don't interrupt me. And this is so important because the minute somebody is, when I'm in motion and I'm interrupted, it's very difficult to reconnect again, train of thought. <coughs> but thank God, you are amazing. You allow me, and then you ask the questions. I love it when you ask questions. Because the questions and the answers are the most relevant. Not my speech or my talk. I always love to have people call in to ask questions. I love it. Back to you, sir. Well, we have had, uh, you've answered many questions actually through the, uh, uh, through the presentations you've done tonight, you've answered, I, I would suspect, the majority of the questions that we've had since your last appearance. And it's refreshing to see the, uh, e- the emails that we're getting saying, you know, I, I never knew this. Uh, your presentation about, about the Holy Land, about Israel, um, uh, about the Quran substantiating the fact that it is theirs their land title the Jews hold title deed Jews and Christians hold title deed to, to the Holy Land um, moved a lot of people I could tell just by the uh, by the emails that we're getting already so I just want to say thank you so very much and again my friend I know it's uh, uh, early or late uh, depending on your perspective where you're at I just do hope that you get some good rest and I do hope that you'll come back and join us again um, to share more of your wisdom all you need to do is, if you can do once a month, I'll be grateful. Absolutely, we can do that. IQ Al Razuli, folks, thank you. IQ, thank you so God very bless much. You. For your time. Good God bless you. Have a good evening. All right. Well, folks, that was IQ Al Razuli. What a great man! What a what a man of God! And what what a the um, P, I mean PhD level talks in uh, about about Islam in the closing moments that we have here folks uh, again I, I just want to remind people check out the article by Peter Barry Choka on American Thinker as well uh, the, well it's on Hagman Report I was going to say thank you for correcting me on that go to HagmanReport.com and there it's linked right off of HagmanReport.com and uh, uh, also Kevin Ship, I was on from 6 to 7 tonight on uh, the Intelligence Hour. We had a very spirited discussion. Kevin Shipp, of course, the author of From the Company of Shadows, a CIA, former CIA uh, uh, officer and counterterrorism expert. We had a very interesting hour. I will put the link up uh, when I get it from uh, Kevin. You can also, if if you'd like, um, I believe it's on my Twitter, my personal Twitter account, that's Hagman PI Twitter account. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter and follow the show at Hagman Report as well. With that, this week, John has done just a tremendous job setting up this week. Yeah, the old radio on the right-hand yeah. side of the yep. site. Yep. This week on Hagman Report, there is the lineup for the week. And uh, we'll be back on video tomorrow night, Joe. Yeah, we will. We were off video for, for a few shows. And that will be back on track tomorrow. 
Um, and again, on Hangman Report, um, go there for, for news and information. And we have a number of, of people writing. Liz Crokin. Boy, her article went Her article viral. did go viral. It was explosive. Um, and I'm, I'm pulling up the, the article right now. I believe it's, uh, Trump zeroes in on elite pedophiles was the title. But you talk about traction. That got a ton of traction over the weekend. And we want to thank her for doing that. Also, you Very know, much. people like Stephen Menking and others who are, who are also posting the Hagman report. Uh, so make sure you visit that on a daily basis. I update it throughout the day. It's updated in the morning, updated in the afternoon, and then updated again near showtime. But yeah, keep your eye. I know Liz Crokin's got some stuff she's working on that we're going to see. And we got a great week lined up. Again, on the right hand side of the website on Hagman report under show notes, uh, you can read this week on the Hagman Report, the new mandate. And you can you. see the, our whole week uh, lined up and, and who we got. And we got a, a fantastic week. I'm not even going to get into any individual person. But, um, and again, if you miss the... Uh, <laughs> Just buckle up. <laughs> with YouTube, uh, a lot of folks don't want to listen or even go through the three-hour show in order to find if they're looking for a specific interview. Well, for, for a few months now, we have been segmenting the videos. And got a little bit behind last week. Sorry about that. Right. But if there's any one interview you hear that, and you don't want to go through the whole show to hear again, go to our YouTube channel, the official Hagman and Hagman channel, and uh, you can get that link from Hagman Report too, or just go on YouTube. And when you go there, you can see each individual segmented guest. Uh, it's separate, a separate video for however long they were on. Also, the three-hour shows are still there. Absolutely. Want to... in, a, in their entirety. I want to thank Global Star Radio Network for all that they do. And thank you, each and every one of you, for listening, for tuning in, for supporting our broadcast. We could not do it without your support, your prayers, your word of mouth. Uh, just, just thank you. Thank you for your belief and your trust. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Good night.